Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of the ElfQuest show. How's it going, Ryan? Hey, it's going great. Hello, everyone. How are you, David? I'm doing well. Good. Um, really excited to talk about this issue um, for a whole variety of reasons. But as as usual, um, I think we want to cover a few newsy things and um, before we dive into the issue. And so I'll just kick it off with um, a couple things that I wanted to say. Um, first is I want to send out, and Ryan does too, a Huge thank you to Frankie Wolf and Amanda Roncalio Meyer for volunteering to transcribe these podcasts for the fans that are out there that are hearing impaired. Um, a lot, of, you know, there several people have requested that we try to do some kind of, um, uh, you know, sort of written version of these podcasts, which frankly is beyond my ability or Ryan's ability. Yeah. And so Frankie and Amanda both volunteered to you know take their own free time and sit and re-listen to these episodes and record every line of them and mm-hmm. um and and it's it's pretty huge and it's a pretty amazing gift and to me it's a testament to how awesome ElfQuest fans are because we really are kind of like a big family a big tribe and even though most of us have never met each other in person we're willing to kind of step out there and do something nice for each other. Yeah. And it just, I think it's just awesome. Yeah, so. they definitely went the extra mile. It's a huge undertaking. So big props to both of them. Thank you so much for doing that for our hearing impaired friends. Um, it's amazing. And I don't know yeah. if you've actually read any of the transcripts, David, but uh, I, I've taken a look at some of them and I, I've become very aware how much I say, mm, or, mm, or, um, <laughs> it really points it out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that, um, you know, in my real life doing media work, I, I am very accustomed to seeing myself on camera and hearing my voice recorded for radio and things like that. And I'm okay with that. The thing that I makes me utterly uncomfortable is seeing my words written down Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) for that exact reason. Exactly. So I haven't, um, Oh, there's my dog barking and that's lucky making his appearance. Um, I haven't, um, actually read through any of them yet. And I need to because I know that Frankie had uh, posted some questions about uh, some parts where she couldn't quite hear what we were saying. So at some point, I do want to go through and kind of read them and see if we can kind of piece that together and remember. Mm -hmm. And I should also mention that currently those those transcripts are living on the ElfQuest fan Facebook page. Mm -hmm. They're in the files tab. And at some point, um, you know, maybe we'll try to get them um, up onto the ElfQuest forums or someplace where folks can access them if they are not on Facebook. Yeah, but... I wonder if we can get them on SoundCloud. I'll take a look and see. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, so if um, 
yeah, we'll we'll have to look into that and see how we can make them more widely available. And Definitely. and obviously, um, our our you know the folks would have to read this to know where it is if they um, you know if they um, are hearing impaired. But um, we'll we'll try to get it out in the written word on the forums and um, and on the Facebook page so that everybody can have access. Great. Good. So mm -hmm. the next thing yeah. that I wanted to just quickly touch on is the Russian edition of ElfQuest. That is, there seems to be a new Russian edition that I've seen. Um, a lot of folks on Twitter are actually talking about, and um, and I believe Richard uh, has posted some stuff about it. And I just think it's so cool to see ElfQuest in in different languages, yeah, it's really and neat. Per particularly Russian, because. My understanding is that the, the the books really have not been in print there for a long time, and that there was some illegal bootlegging going on. And you know, Russian fans were um, really excited about that, and I think they, you know, Richard kind of called them out on it because you know it's illegal, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of sort of uh, I don't know uh, miftness if the, if that's a yeah. word um, because the fans were like, well, you know we're just trying to get ElfQuest because we love it and we have no other way of getting it. And so it's really great to see that there is a publishing deal. I don't know if it's through Dark Horse or not, but um, so now Russian fans can actually get some ElfQuest and they don't have to steal from Wendy and Russia. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's <laughs> uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I, re I remember I saw a picture on Facebook not long ago too. I think it was a Danish edition of the final quest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's mm -hmm. the Elver Folket or something. Yes, which is a cool yeah. name. <laughs> Although it sounds kind of close to a, a swear word, too. <laughs> <laughs> it <Yeah>. does? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, especially, I have to be quite careful saying that, knowing my trouble with pronouncing things. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> but uh, speaking of international editions, I just wanted to run off a list of the countries that uh, where listeners have listened to episodes on um, oh, cool. on SoundCloud. So just quickly, I'll I'll run through the list of all of them: United States, Germany, Canada, Norway, Netherlands, Denmark, Sweden, Belgium, France, Austria, UK, Switzerland, Australia, Finland. Russia, Italy, Morocco, Hungary, Indonesia, New Zealand, French Guiana, Curaçao, Portugal, Argentina, Spain, Ireland, Brazil, Belarus, Mexico, Japan, Malta, Trinidad and Tobago, Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Philippines, Republic of Korea, Nepal, Thailand, and Croatia. If you can believe that. You're kidding me. Isn't that amazing? Oh, oh yeah. my God. I had no That's idea. Amazing. Yeah. It really is amazing. Uh, I would have expected, obviously, the U.S. and you know various uh, you know Canada mm -hmm. and Western European countries, but um, yeah, like, that's amazing. That's Saudi amazing. Arabia and right. Philippines and Malta. Like, who would have thought? Right. That's it's incredible. Yeah. So there's fans out there all over the world in countries all over the world. It's pretty incredible. You know, and that's and that's an encouraging mm -hmm. thought. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that. ElfQuest's influence is, is sort of out there Globally. in that, that big of yeah, a way. Yeah. yeah. And um, totally amazing. Speaking of uh, SoundCloud, again, we have close to 7,000 plays in total now. So that's 7,000 uh, uh, listens, I guess, to the episodes. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that that also just blows mm -hmm. my mind that, um, that we're, we're already at 7,000. And, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, with the millions of people 
that are into, you know, ElfQuest and fandom, you know, it's probably, you know, it's not that many, but given yeah. that we're just kind of doing this as a, as a fan effort and with, you know, Wendy and Richard's obvious support, they seem to be enjoying the show and they help promote it. But, um, it, 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 I think it's pretty awesome. And so we're going to keep doing them and cranking them out and hopefully get that number even mm-hmm. higher. I mean, like you say, to some shows get millions of listeners every week, you know, like look at the Nerdist or something, but, um, you know, all things considered in, in, in context, in comparison, you know, I think we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, all right. A couple more things on my list. Why don't you tell Um, us about, um, BentCon? Cause you were there just recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, BentCon is an LGBTQIA dot, 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 friendly comic sort of geek convention. Um, and I had been going to it for the last three years with Wendy to help her out at the booth. And, um, it's, it's a really fun, really kind of small, but growing convention and, uh, lots of really amazing cosplay and just, uh, you know, really open and welcoming environment. Um, you know, geekdom, unfortunately, um, since it's, it's sort of become mainstream has in many ways gotten a little bit, um, I think. I don't know, uh, exclusive. We're seeing more um, issues of exclusivity and and prejudice and things like that happening at conventions. And um, so it's just really it's it's a nice convention because everyone is sort of aware of those things and why they're bad and why we want to you know create a space where everybody, including straight people, mm-hmm. um, are are welcome. And so um, at any rate, Wendy has been um, going since the beginning, um, I think, which was four years ago, and um, obviously promoting Mask of the Red Death, but also ElfQuest. And um, she, ju- she she usually gets asked to be a judge for the Masquerade, which, again, as you can imagine, is, is a you know, pretty amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the really cool thing, though, is that while we were sitting at the booth, there was sort of a downtime. And Wendy, of course, does not do convention sketches anymore, but she did do a sketch to donate to the the BentCon silent auction, which goes back into the, you know, funding the convention. Um, And so if you guys saw on Facebook or the forums or Twitter, because I tweeted them all out, Wendy did an amazing sketch of kind of a sexy cutter and skywise, a little bit suggestive. Mm Um, and, um, and, and that's what she put into the silent auction. And, um, I, I have to confess, I greedily put in my own bid on it. Um, I kicked off the opening bid at, um, a hundred dollars and, um, and somebody had outbid me by the time I left. I couldn't stay through the for the whole convention just because of mm-hmm. schedules. But um, so I don't know who who ended up getting it, but it was a pretty phenomenal sketch. Yeah, and, it was um, pretty mind blowing. Yeah. The other, and so you know, I didn't. I could have get got into a bidding war with whoever this was. I hope but, they let us know if you're on Facebook or the forums. Yeah, you know, I I I posted it on Facebook, uh, both in the Elfquest group and also on the BentCon. Facebook page, uh, the community page, and asking if anybody knows who won it because it would be great to, you know, sort of promote them and get a picture of them if they're if they're if they want to do sure. that, obviously. Yeah. So I haven't heard anything, hmm. but um, but yeah, the other reason why, well, well, number one, I I, I didn't get into a bidding war because. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I mean, I obviously have a connection already to Wendy and Richard, and am you know terribly spoiled in in that just in that fact. 
But um, so I didn't want to be overly greedy and, you know, gobble up this really cool piece of art if there was another fan that was out there that was willing to spend 120 bucks on it. So that's why I didn't do it. And then also the other reason is that while it was slow, Wendy did do a quick little sketch of my sort of elf fan avatar Thornbreak, Mm -hmm. which I still can't even like I'm I'm kind of speechless about it. I it it it's so freaking amazing that she did that for yeah. me and uh, I mean I just I, it it almost makes me emotional that I have gotten such a gift and that yeah I don't know, no it's, it's just it's, it's pretty awesome. amazing yeah. and uh, we're all very very envious of you David <laughs> <laughs> well and you know I, I I I that's the last thing that I you know I want I want people to be envious, feeling but, but I, I could you. totally. Yeah, yeah, I could totally get why people would, and I actually thought about, you know, not posting it at all no, because I didn't no, no, want to no. be seem no, gloating or like, how look what I got. But it just was so amazing, mm-hmm. and it made me so happy, almost to the point of like tears, oh, literally. Yeah. Um, that I just wanted to share that with everybody. Yeah. And no, I, and, I think we yeah. can. I can speak for everyone when I say that we're glad that you did because it was an amazing piece of artwork. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful piece, and it looks like you too, yeah. which is really cool. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is that um, I, I a few months ago, just sort of for the first time, I, I invented this sort of avatar character, probably like, I think almost 18 oh years ago. God. And it's a funny story because I didn't invent it as an elf character at mm-hmm. all. What I was looking for was a Hotmail user. OK. And so um, so this was like right after college and I had to get I had to, you know, I didn't have my college email anymore. So I had to get my own email yeah, account. Mail, that's, so I went to Hotmail pretty far back now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so you have to come up with some kind of unique name and I knew I was going to be using it to post back then on the ElfQuest listserv. And so I didn't, you know, I, I thought I would come up with sort of a pseudonym cause that's what everybody kind of mm-hmm. used, but I wasn't really out to create an elf name. And so I, I started, you know, putting things in and literally every word or combination of, of words that I put in for a username were already taken. Okay. And I and I'm not even kidding. I, I like when I say that I sat there for probably, you know, 15 minutes typing in random combinations yeah. of words just to see what I could get that was kind of unique and and, you know, still sort of memorable so that people could remember it mm-hmm. or whatever. And and it was literally it was like, you know, cat, you know, pickup truck, you know, like I just put <laughs> random words together. Um, and literally I just, my fingers typed out the word Thornbrink mm-hmm. with, with no sort of consciousness about it. And it was like, okay, that one's available. I was like, oh, okay. okay. That's kind of cool yeah. sounding. And I just mm-hmm. went with it. And so that's, that's where that mm-hmm. came from. And the, the really interesting thing is that, you know, of course, everybody thinks I invented it as an ElfQuest elf mm-hmm. name, um, or that, that it is an actual elf name from the stories. And it's not, it's, it's neither one of those mm-hmm. things, but the cool, here's the cool thing is that years later, I was rereading the, one of the blood of 10 chiefs novelizations, the anthology books. And, um, one of the lines in the, the story of, um, the lone briar and the sword feet, I'm blanking on the name uh, of the story, yeah, I know but, um, it was, it was one of the ones that got adapted into a comic mm-hmm. book. Um, I believe in that story, there's a line that refers to um, this elf Lonebriar 
hiding out in all of the, the brambles and the briars, um, and they called it a thorn brake. Oh, okay. And, I, and so I do what, – here's what I think happened. I think that word kind of embedded itself in the back of my right. brain, completely sort of out of my consciousness. Mm-hmm. And when I was typing random words, it just sort of came out. And I didn't – I wasn't making any kind of ElfQuest connection to it until after right. the fact. So, you know, just another example of how ElfQuest winnows its way into That's your right. brain and influences you. synchronicity <laughs> happening there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So anyway, that's that's the backstory on Thornbreak. I'm, I'm hoping and, that Thornbreak uh, shows up in the final quest in some way, maybe a, uh, a, a random go back or something. Oh, that my God. Cool. Well, I would I would literally <laughs> die if that happened. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm using the correct usage of that word. <laughs> I don't think my my poor little heart could well, take it. We don't it. want that to happen. But, uh, <laughs> maybe Wendy could give you some no. forewarning just to prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know what I was going to say. You you said that there's sort of a resemblance. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I when I finally, again, 18 years after I invented the name and, and, ulti- and you know, like sort of this character or whatever, this avatar, um, I never, because I never really intended it to be an ElfQuest elf. I never drew it or anything. So just this past summer, I decided, you know what, let me go ahead and do that because it really is my username on the forum. And, it, you know, now it really is kind of an ElfQuest elf. So I just sat down and I was actually flying back home from Los Angeles, sitting on a plane and I had a little sketchbook and I just very quickly started sketching what I thought Thornbreak might look like. And um, and so it was those sketches that I, I, I had them with me and um, – that I showed to Wendy and that's what she mm-hmm. kind of looked at as a reference. And, and of course I, I drew him to sort of resemble sure. myself. So you use um, that as a reference, your original sketches. That's exactly. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, so that, yeah, that just makes the experience even cooler and more special that, that, um, you know, that Wendy sort of was able to, to look at my vision and kind of build on that and, and put it through the, the elf, the, the peeny elf exactly. filter. Yeah. So, um, and, and if you guys, if you guys are on the elf quest forums, I have a thread called, um, Thornbreak's fan art and other goodies. And if you go there, you can see, you can see all those original sketches that I did with all, all kind of, I did a bunch of notes on like, well, this is what his clothes look like. And you know, all that kind of thing. Um, you can see all of that and you can obviously see the, Wendy sketch and you can see, you know, kind of compare and contrast and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's totally mm-hmm. amazing. Have you got it framed yet? I don't have it nope. framed yet. I'm going to get it framed. I have it on my desk at home. I have a, um, sort of a magnetic backdrop to, you know, where the, the, the desk. Yeah. And so I have it up there with magnets right, right now, but yeah, um, I, I definitely am planning yeah, on getting that's it framed. something you'd want so. to, uh, protect and keep or, protect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, you're a very lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I very, I'm very aware yeah. of it. <laughs> um, and what else? Oh, uh, okay. So this past Halloween, you did something really cool on Facebook and Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah. you posted a bunch of references to Halloween monsters and creatures and ghouls and goblins, um, but all through the frame of, uh, of ElfQuest. Yeah, so this is something that um, has sort of been kind of living in the back of my brain as well for a little while. And somebody, um, I think it, it might have been me. you, Ryan, said yeah. yeah, said something on Facebook like, oh, yeah, like we should do sort of this. Somebody should write a blog post about how 
uh, you know, well, I think m- monsters I, and Halloween characters I, could be applied. Yeah, to I wrote a list, a quick list of uh, a few characters and what their um, their Halloween type would be, I guess. Right. I wrote Winnow Will as a witch and Tildak right, as a demon right. or something like that. And, and then you responded right, yeah. that I'm writing a blog about this, about this very subject. <laughs> um, and then yeah. uh, that kind of transitioned into you making these these posts. Right. Yeah. So it, it never manifested itself as a blog, mostly because I didn't have time to just sit down and figure it out and mm-hmm. write it. But what I decided to do is just keep it a little bit shorter and sweeter and turn it into a series of social media yeah. posts. And so for, for folks that aren't aware of this, we should have said this at the top. What I did was um, is take ElfQuest characters and and present them um, through the lens of 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 kind of like the Halloween creature or monster archetype that they kind of represent, right. and really, what what I was getting at, and it is one of the things that I find most fascinating about ElfQuest, and that is the way that um, again they take kind of real world mythologies and archetypes, and put them kind of through this filter and present them to us through the point of view of those those monsters are archetypes. Mm-hmm. And so, and, 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 you know, it's, and it's, it's kind of bent, you know, it's not exactly like what we think of these, these creatures in, in the real world, but that's like, that's, you know, I'll put it this way. Like think of how, you know, like we have the elves in ElfQuest, we know them as people and, um, and all of that. And the humans in ElfQuest can only see them as demons. Right. And so it's kind of, it was kind of like the same thing. Like, Probably the mythologies that we have about monsters in the real world, you know, if they're if they were inspired by anything real, maybe that those real things were not really monsters. Maybe they were just what they were. Exactly. Right. So I just I th- that whole aspect of ElfQuest, I just find really, really fascinating and how how these beings kind of inspire human mythology and religion and so on and That's so right. forth. So, yeah, I did. I did. The series was you know, some of the ones that you mentioned, Ryan, I, you know, Winnow Will as, as a, you know, an evil sorceress, mm-hmm. um, or a mm-hmm. witch. Um, I also did Winnow Will as a, um, you know, like, like a spirit from beyond, like a ghost basically. Yeah. Um, uh, I did a wolf man. Yeah. I did Timorn as a wolf, as the wolf man mm-hmm. and Timane as a werewolf right. because, um, I guess in both instances, they both are werewolves, yeah. but I was trying to draw the distinction between the fact that Timane can change back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore she's a werewolf. And again, think of that Timane as a werewolf, yeah. like she's a, she is a werewolf by the base, most basic exactly. definition, right? Yeah. Except she's totally not a werewolf based on any other kind of werewolf that we've seen anywhere else in mm-hmm. mythology. Um, you know, same thing for chemo because he obviously has the same ability. Uh, you know, I, I sort of presented two edge as, yeah, I really as, like this as one. sort of both and or a combination of kind of the evil mm-hmm. leprechaun <laughs> and the, like the, the, the mad yeah. clown. Cause he's a little That's bit of right. both. Right. And so, very um, fitting. what I really, what, what I really liked was, um, Wendy's reaction to it where she said, uh, something along the lines of she and Richard hadn't even realized how well some of these characters fit into those archetypes right when, right. when they were creating them um but it's it's amazing though how closely they do kind of skew to those those actual archetypes totally. that we well i i firmly believe that wendy and richard are have like a direct plug into the collective consciousness mm-hmm. 
that that really feeds so much of our mythology yeah. and that even they do things that they're they might not even be conscious of that kind of tap into that. And, you know, they do they are they are aware to a degree because they do talk a lot about archetype and how it plays a role in ElfQuest and the stories that they tell. But um, but, yeah, I mean, getting getting a reaction like that out of Wendy and Richard is is also pretty Definitely. awesome. We can kind of reflect back their own work in a new way to them that they didn't really think right. about. It's yeah, it neat. is. Re it's really um, cool. Um, you know what you were saying about how uh, the human interpretation of maybe um, natural occurring phenomenon or creatures or what have you, and then it's interpreted um, in a superstitious way, right? And that made me think right, right. now, like my, my brain is pinging here, um, but I'm thinking of the idea of dragons, for instance, and there's a lot of theories about mm -hmm. why cultures all over the world kind of develop these legends and stories about dragons um, independent of each other and there's all sorts of theories for it like maybe they found ancient um, fossilized bones of dinosaurs or um, right. Pleistocene animals and um, or or it was sort of an amalgamation of uh, natural fear of predators kind of combined mm -hmm. into one creature so you're combining like birds of prey with um, with uh, large cats and uh, and, and right. lizards, right, and serpents, and it combines into this creature that that's a dragon, <clears throat> mad coil. Yeah, yeah, right. And so it's this, <laughs> the exact same thing happening here, in some way. Um, right. As far as what you were saying with reference to the humans of the world of two moons, right? They're they're seeing what are natural beings and interpreting them mm -hmm. as demons or or right. monsters. Yeah. Right. And in some cases it's warranted, you know, using Mad Coil, using Winnow Will. For sure. Um, but in most cases it's not. It's 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 basically misinterpretation and or ignorance that has fueled this negative stereotype. And I think that's the big takeaway of ElfQuest. You know, Wendy and Richard have said on numerous occasions that it's really not a story of good versus evil. It's about sort of ignorance versus knowledge. sort of knowledge and mm -hmm. awareness. Uh, and I, th I, I think that is, that's, that's a perfect way of explaining sure. it Yeah, as represented by this whole, this whole archetype thing. So, yeah, um, no, I'm really glad you did yeah. that though. It was really fun and, uh, entertaining. Yeah. Well, at some point, um, you know, one of my challenges in doing it as a blog was that I didn't really know where to post it. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I, I write a blog for animal planet and I, Post, you know, actually Huffington Post could have worked. I, I, I write for Huffington Post sometimes and I write for Boing Boing as well. Um, but I didn't know that anyone would really be sold on on this idea because it's just so ElfQuest sure. focused. Um, and so I, then I was going to do it on the forums, but then I decided to just sort of do the whole social media thing. And I just did it over the course of the day of Halloween. Right. And, well, um, if you do ever, you know, I, I hope that you do get a chance to write an actual blog post essay about it. It would be interesting to read that, but just go ahead and post it somewhere and, you know, yeah. it'll go where it needs to go. Yeah, you know what? At some point, I'm, I, I should do that and um, just put it up on the ElfQuest forum so it's there for everybody to yeah. see and have yeah, fun with. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, All right. And did you want to talk about the next volume of ElfQuest? Yes, okay. that's what I was just going to say is uh, before we start the discussion of the issue, mm -hmm. um, the one last thing I wanted to just remind folks about is that the second volume of the complete ElfQuest 
is going to be out this February. So um, the first one came out um, back in um, what was it? Was it August, August? or September? It was August. yeah, and um, we haven't gotten any updates on corrections to that um, that misprinted page yet, mm-hmm. but. Hopefully there'll be some kind of solution. Um, you know, I guess we just have to wait and see from Dark Horse and from Wendy and Richard. But the second edition is coming out. This book collects the Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel storyline into one giant volume. I believe it's 520 pages, somewhere in that ballpark. Wow. Um, again, it's only going to be $24.99. So Amazing. it's a total steal, super affordable. Yeah. And um, this is the first time that this material is going to be collected together mm-hmm. and also presented in a graphic novel form. Um, oh, oh, wait, I take mm-hmm. that back. I was going to say the first time it's, it was presented in a graphic novel form in black and white, but the um, the Reader's yeah. Collection of ElfQuest graphic novel series that Warp Graphics put right. out was in black and white, yeah. but it wasn't collected into one no. volume the way that this is. So, Yeah, those two series together have never been collected as one volume. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the minus the, the printing error, I think Dark Horse is doing a really phenomenal job on production. I mean, the books are sturdy and solid and look good. The, the, the printing is so crystal clear, black mm-hmm. and white. Um, you know, I have to say, I think it's, it's, it's a couple of steps better than, than those reader collections. And I don't know if that's because they're from new scans or if the technology has just gotten better or not, or, you know, what, what could account for yeah. it. But, um, but the, the dark horse complete elf quest book is, is definitely, it's worth every penny of the $25 that it costs to get. I think so. Richard scanned everything again, all the original artwork. I'm sure I, I, I think so too. somewhere. Yeah, yeah that, I think so too. So anyway, just a reminder that that's coming. So is this the New um, Testament? So, ElfQuest, the New Testament. Yes, this this will be ElfQuest, the New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> and and should everybody you know buy a lot of copies and and Dark Horse want to print more editions, whatever comes after that, we'll have to come I know, up with I was a new just name for that. it. What are we going to call those? <laughs> Maybe we're going to have to get into different religions. It'll be like ElfQuest, the Torah. There you go. <laughs> so, so with that said, too, that uh, as always, you guys know that Ryan and I always remind everybody uh, in each episode that if you want an ElfQuest product, if you want an ElfQuest book, if you want something in color, you have to let Dark Horse mm-hmm. know. They basically um, have the license to be producing ElfQuest books and and related products. So, and Dark Horse does indeed produce everything from you know stickers to uh, to lunch boxes to all sorts of other goodies for some of their other licensed products. So you gotta let Dark Horse know. And the quickest and easiest way to do that is to send them an email at ElfQuest at darkhorse.com. Send them an email and just politely let them know what you want. Yep. And, um, you know, that's that's the best way to do it because, you know, Wendy and Richard don't control no. that. Dark Horse has to come to them and say, hey, we think that there's a market for X, Y, or Z ElfQuest product. You know, and then at that point, you know, I guess they would have to figure out how that, you know, the, the licensing deal would work. But that's not, a, you know, not neither here nor mm-hmm. there as far as mm-hmm. we're concerned. So the key thing is let Dark Horse know what you want. And, um, and, and well, let them know directly, mm-hmm. but also let them know by buying the That's books right. that they're putting yeah. in. Yeah. Support That's the actually the strongest yeah. way that you can send the message that you want more yeah. ElfQuest. Um, so I just want to give that plug in for Dark Horse and, and remind folks that, um, do it, and do it Dark often, Horse seems, do it once right. a week. And they, Dark Horse seems very invested in ElfQuest and producing, um, items for us. 
Um, yeah. they, they seem to really be on the ball for this. So I would, uh, I would highly uh, recommend that as well. You know, get in touch with them, let them know what you want, because who knows, maybe they're, they'll produce whatever it is that you're looking for. Exactly. And so you can email them at elfquest at darkhorse.com. They're also on Twitter. They're on Facebook. Um, on the ElfQuest forums, I created a thread, you know, containing all the different ways that you can contact Dark Horse with links. So find that thread and do it four different times. You know, I think that's fine. I mean, again, obviously you want to be polite and you don't want to harass, but um, the squeaky wheel gets the cool ElfQuest stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's my advice. Um, just before we begin discussing the actual issue, uh, just two very quick things, a thank you and an apology. So the thank you is uh, to you, David, actually, for doing the um, interview, the last episode. I thought it was great. You did a really oh, awesome. wonderful job, and it was uh, it was a pleasure to listen to um, to the three of you, Wendy, Richard, and yourself, um, discuss the final quest and everything Elf Quest. It was uh, it was awesome. fantastic. I'm kicking myself in the butt for not being <laughs> available for it. I'm hoping that at some point in the future they'll be willing to do another one because I think this one went fantastic. So I'm, I'm hoping good, they'll good. do you it. Know, well, number one, you're you're very welcome, and um, it was obviously awesome to be able to chat with them and and record it. Um, I've had several chats with them that have just been awesome over the years, and I wish that I could have had a recorder to to capture it because you know just sort of stream of consciousness and and the things that um, you know just sort of the little insights that you get from chatting with Wendy and Richard themselves are are, are pretty awesome. But um, but yeah, and and. You know, it, I, I I wish that you could have joined us. Um, you know, I, it, it kind of happened a little bit of spar of the mm -hmm. moment. So it was sort of when when they were both available to, to record, and you know, we didn't have too much lead yeah, time. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, so, I'm just glad um, that you were able to uh, interview them. You know, at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, and so they they both seem to enjoy it, and I so I'm hoping did. that yeah. Maybe in a few months we'll be able to, um, you know, maybe get them on the phone and do another interview. And um, and 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 folks out there seem to like it. So I think, um, you know, Ryan and I have already kind of been toying around with the idea of doing, you know, a series of these kind of special episodes and and you know maybe getting Sunny Straight in and and some other folks from ElfQuest fandom and um, and you know sort of the greater world of ElfQuest. So so everybody stay tuned. I'm just worried that if uh, I'm involved in the next interview, if it happens, I'm going to turn into a drooling fanboy and not know what to say, <laughs> get all tongue twisted. Who knows? I'm going to have to mentally prepare well, myself for that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's yeah, that's easy to happen. So <laughs> um, and the other thing I, I said, I have an apology. I just realized when I was listing off all those countries, the list of countries, I need to apologize mm -hmm. in advance to Frankie and or Amanda when they're transcribing this episode, um, having to list all of those countries. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stopping and rewinding of the episode to get all of them in. But I can, oh, no. I can yeah. uh, send either one of you the, uh, the list, which would make it there a lot easier. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all okay. right. So is anything else uh, before we start talking about nope, the issue? I think I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. All right. Awesome. So we are – this is the final issue of – kind of the first big story arc of the final quest mm -hmm. that essentially wraps up the, the recognition storyline that started all the way back in, I think 2001. So, um, so that it's, it's exciting in and of itself. Yeah. And it's also exciting because speaking of dark horse and graphic mm -hmm. novels, 
this is the last issue that's going to go into the very first collected graphic novel right. of the Final Quest that Dark Horse is putting out in April, exactly. which is also the very first color, full color graphic novel volume that they're going to be putting out. So this will be volume so, one of the Final Quest. Yeah, it'll be the the final quest special, and then the first five issues. I'm sorry, first six issues. Plus uh, the that, special. You know, the, yeah, it'll be the the special plus the first six yeah. issues, which issue number six is the one that we're going to talk right. about now. So and this, that in and of itself is kind of awesome. Exactly, about this. and this will be volume one of four volumes, which was confirmed actually in your interview. When exactly? Yeah, so we're going to yeah. get 24 issues of the final right. quest. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I can't remember, um, you know, Wendy said it in the interview or not, but uh, or she just said it to me. But um, I think there's flexibility in that. There, there. Wendy and Richard, as always, are going to take the the amount of issues necessary to tell the story that they right. want to tell. Well, so, that happened with the original um, quest too. Um, I I've read that when they got to Blue Mountain, um, Winnowill mm-hmm. demanded more issues than they had yep, planned, exactly. right? So they, they work yeah. with that. It's a very organic process, um, yep. the way that they work. Yeah, and and I also mention it too because we fans tend to, um, you know, take every comment and utterance of Wendy and Richard as gospel Bible set in stone, written in indelible ink. And the reality is, is that Wendy and Richard uh, approach everything with a lot of flexibility. And so if it ends up being 23 issues, don't come after. Well, I'm hoping (laughs) that it it won't end up less and will end up more. I know. I know the thought of it being less. (laughs) I don't want that. I'm upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Some (laughs) character will demand more issues and we'll get like 50 or something. (laughs) That's right. Oh my God. Could you imagine? (laughs) Yes, I can. Um, (laughs) All right. So, um, all right. So, so kicking off into this Mm -hmm. issue, we get this amazing we, well we finally get to see what was up at the top of the right. mountain and you know we get this beautiful sort of double page spread which is one of my favorite things in elfquest when we get these big group yeah. scenes and it's a sort of a a big panoramic right. view um and i'm sure wendy they're not wendy's favorite thing to draw because they're probably Very a lot more difficult than yeah but um but we we you know we see this um this sort of ruin, mm. I guess you mm-hmm. would call it. And, um, you know, it's, well, well, two things, I guess. Number one, it's beautiful to look at. Number number two, it's a ruin. And then uh, actually three things. But we never learn exactly what it is. No, you're right. <laughs> it's never really made and, clear. But I, I guess we wouldn't know that because the elves don't know, right? All we know is that it was a some sort of human sanctuary that was built and abandoned for some reason. Yeah. Right abandoned for some reason, but we do get clues. Okay. So, you know, we have, um, we have Lita saying, you know, it has the same feel as, you know, the sun village as it is now, basically a ruin, but it was once well loved. And then we have the comment, the exchange between Sunstream and Mm -hmm. Ember one and skywise too you know where skywise is like what about you know sunstream you get any like magic feelings you know anything bad lurking around here and he says no it's good it's Mm -hmm. peaceful and she's like is it well we'll see yeah that's an interesting comment that she made it seems to be some sort of foreshadowing um i i don't know what that could be in reference to maybe she senses some unknown danger um but sunstream's powers he's pretty powerful right i would assume that he would sense if there was any bad magic but it doesn't seem like this place has any um connection to elves whatsoever because i i would assume that they would sense it 
um, particularly yeah. Sunstream would. Uh, so it, it seems to me to just be some sort of human sanctuary and dwelling that was abandoned for some reason. Right, exactly. That's that's my thought too. And that um, I think some there's going to be something about the place that you know is is going to be the fruition of that little bit of foreshadowing in Ember's comment. But I don't think it's going to have anything to do with right. magic. Uh, at least not, you know, as we have seen kind of the bad pools of elf magic, mm-hmm. uh, mad coil and all of that. So, yeah. um, so, so I think it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's presented it's here. And I think Wendy and Richard deliberately didn't answer what the heck this place was because they're going to deal with it later in the story. And instead we get this sort of little kind of, again, foreshadowing hint that there might be something more, more to come That's out. Right. Now I wonder if it's going to have anything to do with um, the plot line that was brought up in the wild hunt stories towards the end of that series run um, where there was uh, references to what I would assume to be elves by the long riders on a place called Kalki's mountain. I don't know if this is Kalki's mountain, but there seem to be some legends about elf like beings that the long riders had that lived on a mountain. Um, Yun found a statue of what looks like an elf with wings um, and we mm-hmm. we've never gotten any sort of uh, further insight into what exactly that is all about. Um, and one right. of the long riders in in Mender's Tale uh, mentioned a character named Adarak, and he he of the nine mm-hmm. pinioned wings. So there seemed to yep. be something about elves with wings um, that the long riders uh, have legends of. Um, so I don't exactly. know if this is going to have some sort of relation to it. But the fact that there doesn't seem to be any sense from our elves that there was any magic or or elves present in this place um seems to indicate that this isn't connected to that plot point so i don't know what's going to happen there yeah i i have no idea mm-hmm. either um but um, i'm glad you brought up adarak and the, the of the nine pinioned wings um because that, that's exactly what i was thinking about too and and you know who knows maybe by the end of the final quest, we will have the elf version of an angel, you mm-hmm. know, sort of a bird winged elf or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, the sense that I get just from the feel of the way that this place is presented mm-hmm. and some of that backstory from the wild hunt and Mender's tale is I kind of feel like this place is a, like a temple That's of some sort or to. a, you know, like a, like a, a meditation yeah. spot. Um, and that it's been, it's very, you know, sort of special. It's a very special place for the humans that built it, who, for whatever reason, you know, no longer live there, have abandoned it, whatever. Um, and it still kind of lives on in the memory of the the long riders. Um, so that I, I don't know. That's just sort of my my very um, you know, kind of visceral gut reaction to to this double page spread and what we learn about and it. And we so, see that symbol um, too, the two triangles. Um, Oh yeah, right, yeah. That's there as well. The sunlight is filtering through it. You can see it right uh, in the center of the the large arch. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know what that symbol represents. It seems to be not just an indication of direction, which is what um, Carbasi uh, initially assumed it was, but it it looks like right. some sort of symbol as well. So I'm not sure. Yeah, and you know what? That, it it makes me think of something like Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, with the theories about. Uh, the the shadows cast by the 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 rock pillars in Stonehenge having some kind of meaning or symbolism or whatever. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I, I I I'm very intrigued by this. I really am curious about it. 
Um, now, in the last... Although... Yes, go, I was just going to say, in the last issue, at the very end, we got that comment from Tyr and Ember, where Tyr says, look, Ember, look, and Ember says, by the halls of Blue Mountain. And my um, suspicion was that this would have some connection to maybe some of the gliders, or have some sort of connection to Blue Mountain, but it seems like that's not the case now. Um, so I was trying to uh, kind of infer what Ember meant when she said that, and I can only assume that it was because she somehow sees some uh, similarity, I guess, between this structure that the humans have built and uh, what the gliders had built within Blue Mountain, that they, they look similar in that respect. Yeah, I have no idea what that's I, I think it just reminded her of Blue Mountain. And so that was right. where that, that um, oath came from when she said it, by the halls of Blue Mountain. Like, it looks like kind of like Blue Mountain. Yeah, it could be as simple mm-hmm. as that, or it could be, you know, some more foreshadowing or hinting be. or something. Yeah, we'll see down the road. What were you going to say? Um, I was going to say um, the, the the my other observation or reaction is, um, you know, especially as the issue goes on, obviously it, it becomes obvious that Ember's tribe is going to take up residence mm-hmm. there, um, and that's a that's that's a feels weird Why? to me in this in this sense. Because we, we've already known it, and this issue really reinforces it, um, that Ember really is trying to live by the letter, you know, by the, the, live by the original okay. way. And that is, you know, sort of to be tied to nature, to live with the wolf pack and everything, um, and not use a lot of magic. And, and it, it seems odd for that branch of the wolf riders with that vision to then live in a human uh, ruin. Okay. I, it's just yeah. weird to me, not so, in a bad way. It's just, I can, I can see where you know, you're I picture. From. Yeah. Yeah. I picture Ember's wolf riders with that, uh, with that sort of stated mission living in a deep forest somewhere or whatever. But, I, um, so anyway, I just, I, I get what you're saying, but I kind of think that the environment that they're currently in right now, it, it doesn't, um, lend itself to having large forests. Um, the way that uh, where Cutter's tribe is uh, it seems right. very temperate. This seems more like um, like steppes or plains. Uh, the type yeah, of tribe. I think so. so too. I don't know if they have the same kind of forests available to them. Although they could technically just take the palace somewhere where there were large forests. Right. Um, but I, I just I get what you're saying, but I also see it as well. They they understand that this is an abandoned ruin um, right. and has been abandoned for quite some time, clearly. So I guess they just don't see it as... Um, I, I Like, are you thinking that maybe it would be a threat because humans would come back or just the fact that they're living in a place that humans built kind of... Throws you off? No, yeah, no, I'm actually not thinking about it from their point of view at all. Um, I don't think that they're thinking it's weird. I'm just saying that for me, it seems kind of weird from just from a philosophical point of view to have the, the, the wolf riders that are, that are cleaving closely to the way end up living in the ruins of a human temple or town or whatever. It just, there's a disconnect there. And and again, not in a bad way. It makes me actually more curious about Mm -hmm. the place. And frankly, the way that it's presented visually, like I want to be there. I want to go and sit in that place and be quiet and, you know, listen and meditate. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very compelling. I could see, I could actually see why the characters would want to Mm -hmm. live there. 
um, you know, there's the the line about you know about with Scouter and Cutter uh, commenting on the fact that it's easily defendable because I guess of where it is, of but um, on top mm-hmm. of a mountain and everything. And actually, um, you know, to your, your the point you were just making, yeah, it seems like this is uh, you know maybe at high altitude. So generally, in those kinds of environments, you don't get massive trees. The 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 trees and forests that you get do tend to be a little bit stunted. more sparse or mm-hmm. stunted because of wind and lack of water. And and absolutely right. I mean, outside of the mountains, it's the plains or the steppes where Tyr had been living for all those years and that the long riders mm-hmm. call home. So it's obviously not a, um, uh, a forest dominated ecosystem no. like the Thorny Mountain Halt area or uh, back on uh, the, you know, the, to the, the Halt where the Wolf Riders live now, Good Trees Rest yeah. Halt. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, definitely interesting. And, you know, you, I could, of course, geek out for hours and hours on the ecology of the world of two moons, but I won't. <laughs> Two things um, <laughs> before we move on about this page that I love is that we see all of the characters. I love yes. that. And it's just interesting to look at each one of them and what they're doing in that in this new environment like i love the fact that winkin is flying scouter around so that scouter can yep <laughs> can see all the surrounding territory which is really cool um and then you've got the other ones like uh looking around and talit's concerned about the the human children really yep. um and also uh wendy's artwork on this page and actually throughout this issue in this same environment um I don't know if you noticed this, but the uh, the line work that she's using. In, oh yes. yeah, it, this is this is on yeah, my list. Okay, <laughs> I figured it would be um, the the hatch lines and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's really um, really nice work that she's doing here. Yeah, the the especially at the very beginning of this issue, the um, the word I use is scritchy. Okay, yeah. there's so yeah. much scritchiness. You know, it's it's very sort of rough. There, you know, in in the foliage and in the textures on the rocks, and it's something that, frankly, we haven't seen a lot of in in ElfQuest art in yeah. a while, particularly since Wendy has started working all digitally. And so, um, we've said it before on the show. Um, just the, the the final quest seems to be just almost like the perfect amalgamation of all of Wendy's different sort of art styles over the years, kind of being pulled together into one kind of master statement exactly. of of her art her, and her ElfQuest yeah. art. Um, it's kind of like the best of all of all of her styles and 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 phases and periods all coming together I into agree. one. Definitely. And that line work that you're talking about, I think, is a great example Stretchy. of it. I like that. Um, Scritchy, yeah. And so later in the issue, when we get to Kavi's story, mm-hmm. we see a completely different style that um, I think is, is 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 it's almost the opposite of this sort of scritchy black and white ink, you know, inking kind of thing going on. And it's it, it, when when Kavi's sort of relating what you know what what happened to her, which is the other sort of big revelation mm-hmm. here, uh, which we can talk well, about talk, in a minute. But yeah. since we're talking about the art. Well, there's a couple more things I want to say about the um, about this sure. intro scene. But since we're talking about the the art and that mm-hmm. scene, um, again, it just it, it what that art reminded mm-hmm. me of was the the first five issues I mean, of the Hidden too, Years. Exactly, and I think partly that that's, done, that's due to Sunny's coloring as well. I, I, yeah, I have to guess that Sunny has a big, huge part of that. I mean, it's it's obvious that they, you know, either Wendy or Sunny or them together made the the art decision to display that flashback in a slightly different style, yeah. um, sort of softer edges. There's not there's if you notice, there's no hard black and white lines, mm-hmm. and that is the thing that really stood out about the um, 
those first five issues of Hidden Years is the use of kind of the colored line mm-hmm. in the art um, that, you know, it wasn't black and white ink that was then colored right. later. It was art that was done in color from the get-go. And the fact that Wendy and Sonny were able to recreate that mm-hmm. look in this mm-hmm. flashback. I mean, I want to see whole issues of ElfQuest in that yeah, style. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe a, a, a little bit less washed out because it you know it sort of has this washed out dreamy mm-hmm. effect to it. But, um, and I know that's me again being a greedy fan because I just got finished saying how awesome you know the the black line work is and the ink work is in the uh, the first couple pages. And now I'm saying I love the you know the the the, the color. Exactly. Um, well, you're you allowed know, so, to you know, like both styles. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's that, Thank you Whitman for thing. <laughs> I am, I'm full of multitudes. Do I contradict myself? I am full of multitudes or something like that. Yeah. There you go. I'm going to, I'm going to, my apologies that. to Walt Whitman, <laughs> but uh, if I screwed up yeah. that quote, but it's something like that. Um, I love it. So, yeah. So, so um, I don't know if you have any yeah, thoughts on, on well, that. Well, I just in reference to that, the artwork from the flashback scene with Cavi's Cavi story. Um, it reminded me of the special when you get that sort of transition between the uh, the time periods um, mm-hmm. where remember where it's a few pages where Ember's going to visit Corifei and then you get a little bit of chitter growing yep. up and then um, Shuna and her family um, but it's the same type of style and it seems to be something that is being used to sort of indicate the passage of time or a flashback right. um, it's sort mm-hmm. of in that dreamlike quality uh and and also again like you said um sort of references uh the the artwork the art style of the first five issues of hidden years um yeah, yeah so it's it's really interesting i love that though that uh wendy and sunny are are um sort of incorporating various styles seamlessly into mm-hmm. this storyline yeah. Well, this goes to the, just that bigger point of of you know Wendy and Richard and 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 Sonny, um, but you know the Wendy and Richard's recognition in the world of the art of is comics. that a big R recognition or little R recognition? No, that is that is a, a little okay. R, real world sort of you know the, the 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 recognition that they get or lack thereof for their abilities to convey and you know, to, to tell a story in the medium of comics. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, for one, would like to see them recognized a lot more than what they seem to be getting recognized for. Because, I mean, we're, we're total fanboys, yeah. and we're obviously in love with all of everything that they yeah, do. But, biased. I mean, it doesn't take us, it doesn't take somebody to be an ElfQuest fan to look at an issue mm-hmm. like this and see that there's masterness, ma- masterfulness and, and skillfulness in the way that they are telling the story using this unique blend of pictures and words. And in this case, colors and line, you know, I mean, one of the things that I said about the, the, the sketch of Thornbreak that Wendy did for me on social media that I was thinking about just the other day and I ended up posting it was that she did this. First of all, she didn't, she, she did it all in ink directly into Mm -hmm. ink. And so if any, any artists out there, um, you know, that that's a pretty, bold thing to do um because if you make a mistake it's harder to cover it up you can't erase it and you know oftentimes you know you start out with sort of a a pencil sketch and then you kind of ink over that wendy didn't do that she started with a kind of a fine tipped 
um, Sharpie? you know, sort of ink technical okay. pen. No, it wasn't a Sharpie yet. It might have been a Sharpie, but it was a yeah. fine point one. Um, and kind of did, you know, the initial kind of gesture sketch that you would typically do with a pencil to kind of block it in. And then she just went straight in with the inks. And in, in this case, it was a Sharpie. And so, again, it kind of blows well, my mind. Well, you know what that, that says, though, about her is how confident she is in her, absolutely, in her yeah. technique and her, her style mm-hmm. and her art. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. a master, right? So, yeah. Like, yeah. I draw, you draw. I when I draw, I have to do a rough sketch before I would ink it. I I don't feel confident Absolutely. enough at this point to just go ahead with uh, ink directly. Um, right. And, you know, and that says and, that speaks to her talent and her confidence in her ability. Exactly. <laughs> and 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 that's the bigger point that you know I'm making is just that. These people know what they're doing. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> they've been, th- yeah, they've been doing it a long time. They're masters at it, and um, and you know, it's about time some somebody other than fans started well, noticing. You know so I, hopefully, I mean, like I think the people who really appreciate art and um, like comic book artists, they can, mm-hmm. they will recognize the talent that's there, even if they don't necessarily, uh, if they're not invested in the story or they don't particularly like the design of characters, they can still say, right. but this is obviously the work of someone who is very skilled and I can appreciate it on that level. Um, I think though for the general, um, you know, con- your average comic book reader, when it comes down to it, they're concerned with like the story and, and the characters um, not so much invested into the art style, which is why I think for ElfQuest fans, we're, we're very niche, right? Um, yeah. And it's because of, of the style and, and the storyline. It's, it's very different from your average comic book, right? Yeah. And well, so. let, yeah, I mean, let's face it for the average comic book mm-hmm. reader and, and the average comic book industry, ElfQuest is weird yeah, as shit. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people are turned off by, you know, the look it of the characters and um, the storyline. It doesn't appeal uh, to your average Yeah, well, it's not comic book. It's, it, it doesn't look like anything else exactly. that's out there. It certainly has nothing to do with superheroes and spandex. No. Um, it doesn't have the black and white, you know, hero versus villain Many characters play those roles, and sometimes they play both of those roles in different mm-hmm. stories. I mean, Kavi is a perfect mm-hmm. example. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 but 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 again, to my point, there's complexity there in the storytelling. There are rich characters. There is beautiful artwork. Um, so, and so, you you reminded me though that um, that people who really are scholars of the the art of the medium of comics do recognize the the contribution of Wendy and Richard and the biggest example of that is the fact that the the entire Elfquest archive has now is now living at Columbia University yeah, that's which is amazing and there is a um oh, there's lucky, lucky again um there is a huge um exhibit going on right now of comic book art mm-hmm. in which Wendy's art is prominently featured so if you guys can get to New York City and can go to Columbia University to, to see that, it's totally worth it. Um, some bits of, of, of art and original art that, um, you know, that you just can't see anywhere else. So definitely try to go see it if you yeah, can. Yeah, that would be a, a good reason to get down to New York City. Absolutely. Although New York doesn't really um, need any other like, special reasons <laughs> to get down there. But 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I, I mean, even I would say, I would have to agree that, um, there's more going on in, in, in New York than ElfQuest yeah. to make you want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so just a couple other quick things that I wanted to note about that intro scene though. Um, you, you know, we were just talking about the, the, that full two page spread where you can see all the characters and what they're doing and, uh, how, you know, Wendy communicates so much in her art about the characters, like you pointed out, Talit kind of looking to the humans and making sure they're okay. A um, couple other things in that vein. Um, well, one one main thing in that vein. So when I first looked at that panel, the first page of it, um, there's, you, you know, you see Cutter, it's obviously Cutter. And then standing next to him is Lita. But when I first looked at it, I actually thought it was Ember. Oh yeah, and my eye went my eye like for half a second. I wasn't like I wasn't really looking at it. I just thought it was Ember because the two of them, you know, I was expecting them to be standing next to yep. each other, and so. But then I looked back, and I instantly could tell that it wasn't mm-hmm. Ember. And I, so this much. is before my eye really looked at the detail of clothing or anything right. like that. And it's simply because Lita and Ember are shaped mm-hmm. differently. They have a different body yep. style. Um, Lita is a lot more curvaceous, if you will. Ember's a little bit, you know, sort of thinner and yeah. lankier. Wirier. And yeah. And like, just in, in like all of this happened in my eye and my brain in the space of about three yeah. seconds, Wendy was able to communicate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And that is, that is true art. I mean, that's amazing that's- that you can do that with a character, well, even from behind. Exactly. This is how well she knows you know? the characters. Yeah. And just, I, I, I was blown mm-hmm. away by that. Um, and then the last thing about that scene is um, I just I, – I love a good cape, and I'm loving the fact that Dushan is wearing one. <laughs> Me too. Why is that? I don't know why. Like that. There's something really cool, cool about capes. Yeah. I like yeah. when the Wolf Riders wear capes. I don't know how, and, like how convenient that would be to be running around in the forest riding a wolf with a cape, but it sure looks cool. Yeah, I agree. And and a, and and a hood, hood, too. Yes, the hood just tops it off. I think that's partly some of um, your Ewok love coming in, too, right? Because don't the it, Ewoks do the it, cape and hood thing? It, yeah. They do. It could be, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Ewoks um, are sort of like your stand-in for ElfQuest. Like, you have Ewok figures because there's no ElfQuest action figures. <laughs> I know, damn it. Are you listening, Dark Horse? Uh, trust me, I have, I have emailed Dark Horse on multiple occasions. In fact... Um, the, I, I, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but I did a, a huge photo blog for Boing Boing yeah. about my other obsession, which is Ewoks. And we, we don't need to get into that, but awesome. if you, yeah, if you Google, um, if you go to Boing Boing and just type in Ewoks, I'm sure it'll come up. Um, but I shared that I tweeted it specifically to Dark Horse oh, no and said, Hey, Dark Horse, I need some ElfQuest action figure so I can build an, uh, you know, sort of a wolf rider halt yeah. the same way that I built an entire Ewok village yeah. in my house. Good. So they didn't reply, oh. but <laughs> I'll, I'll tweet it. Um, I'll, okay, I'll, yeah. uh, I'll copy the, uh, the, the site and send them an email with it. Yeah. There you go. David needs um, figures. <laughs> that. I do. Damn it. Um, all right, so back to ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, what are these Ewoks you know, we get this we're talking o- about? Elves. We're, we want elves. That's right. <laughs> elves, elves are always my first love. Um, 
Yeah, so so we get this big opening shot. We you know we get to see what's up at the top of the mountain. We don't really get any answers. We get some hints that maybe there's going to be some some drama that goes on there, but it might not be magic. Yeah, Ember's um, definitely concerned that there might be more to this place than meets the eye. Right, and um, and we get a but then we get right peace council. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right into sort of the the, the cover the right. cover image, um, and so there's some some things that I really love about this, and some things that okay. I don't. And so, the I love the panel of uh, of Ember and Cutter walking next to each other. Yeah. Again, another great example of how these are not cookie cutter characters. How they all kind of have their own character design. Mm-hmm. Cutter's obviously a little bit taller than Ember. Obviously, male and a little bit thicker. And uh, you know, she's kind of Ember is a little bit on the petite side, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yet. You could totally see that they are father oh, and daughter. The panel right next to it, too, when Ember is checking in with Tyr just to make sure that he's okay, which is kind of funny in and of itself. Um, you know, our little frail bird, yeah. Tyr. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but, I mean, just look look at them. They look – I mean, you can see both Ember and – you can both see both Cutter and Lita in Ember, but there is no doubt that this is a child – that these two characters are are related in some close family way. The panel in the top right actually reminds me of a panel from um, the first... The original quest with, with yeah. Lita and When Lita and Cutter, Cutter just yep. after they've recognized, I think it's when they're deciding that they're going to... I don't know what's happening in that scene. I forget it, now, but... It's the scene where um, where they're, they're in the sun. It's village. after all of yeah. They're, it's after the the Zwoot stampede, right. and you know it's basically the end of that first story mm-hmm. arc. And Cutter and Lita are walking. They're kind of coming to terms with, with each other, right? Yes. Yes. Right. With Night Runner in between them, and but they're yeah, both that's when they finally. Like right. Exactly. Which references, yeah. It seems to be referencing this. It's sort of like this uh, this meeting of the minds or something. Right. Yeah. 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 That was a nice little. So. Um, so the thing that um, before we get to into what they're saying, what they're talking mm-hmm. about, although I guess this is this will get us there, is you know Ember's while well, Ember's talking about how you know she's trying to stick to the way because Cutter is the one that asked her to do that, and but she feels like she's failing him, and she she kind of has um, you know she kind of breaks down yeah. a little bit, and and she ends up kind of sitting on Cutter's mm-hmm. lap. And that's the part that I don't know if I okay love. why because well I, I, because I think it like I think it infantilizes Ember okay. a little bit and I think that we have seen her already particularly in the Wild Hunt storylines you know sort of a confident not always right but a confident adult Wolf Rider chieftain right. right and you know she's in forty plus years yes. old. So it's not like she's 20 or whatever mm-hmm. and is, needs daddy's comfort. Uh, I don't know. It just it, – it struck me as a little bit I, – I, I don't know out of character okay. is right, but it just – it didn't really befit what I think Ember would have done in that scenario. Right. Now, I get, I get what Wendy and Richard are go, going for. That Ember really is. Like she finally has a moment alone with cutter and she feels like she can let exactly. her guard down. That's what I was going to um, say. And, and, and I get that. And I think that it, it effectively communicates that it just, there's just something off about yeah. it to me. And and the big thing, the big thing for me is, is ask yourself this question. If cutter 
happen to encounter, you know, Bear Claw or Joyleaf, mm-hmm. you know, at after the Palace mm-hmm. War, would he have crumbled down and cuddled up on their lap? Mm. Yeah. Ember is older and, you know, maybe not more experienced than he was at that point in time. But it just, you know, I, I feel like there might be a little bit of um, <sighs> discrepancy yeah. there in, 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 in what these characters who don't obviously cleave to, you know, real life gender norms right. or whatever, but it just seems like she's being presented a little bit as, you know, sort of the daddy's okay. little girl. And I've never really seen Ember like that. Okay, that's interesting because I I would say the yeah. opposite. I actually think Ember was Daddy's little girl. Well, I think she was Daddy's little girl, but we but Daddy's little girl in in a completely sort of stereotype breaking way. Okay, and this is sort of reinforcing the Earth. Well, she was never like of, sort of know. the princess or anything, but she always seemed to right. be uh, at least the one that Cutter could relate to the most out of. Yes, I totally right. agree with that. Yeah. Um, I do get what you're saying though. Now that you've pointed it out, I don't know if. I don't think Cutter would do that. Um, I don't know if that's well. I don't think it's. I don't think it's meant. It's. It's certainly not meant to make Ember come off no. that way. And I don't think that for the elves themselves mm-hmm. that it's being done in any way. You know that that it's sort of Ember being weak or whatever. I mean, again, I think it makes perfect sense in the story that Ember would would need to have just sort of a minute where she can let let the the guard of a, being a chief down. That's a how bit. I took it. But yeah. And it was sort yeah, of like that but, emotional, like a little bit of a breakdown after everything right. that she's gone through. She just needed some comfort from the only person who can yeah. really understand what she's going through. Um, and, right. you know, the uh, the responsibilities and pressures on her as a chief, like yeah. he's Cutter's the only one who can understand what that's like. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think that I, I like that. I think that all makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. I think it's the lap sitting that that just bothers yeah. me slightly you know like if if she weren't, weren't sitting on his mm-hmm. lap in the way that a baby mm-hmm. would um or like a little kid right. if you know if he was comforting her and they were sitting next to each other and they were embracing or yeah. whatever i think it would have to me just i don't know there's just something about yeah that, uh, you gotta wonder like the lap sitting sunstream do the same thing yeah with no either one i don't think he would with yeah either leader so, or cutter right yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think hmm. we know when we get to the end, when we talk about what our, you know, most favorite and least favorite parts of the issues are, <laughs> we don't what mine's going to be. Um, yeah, but otherwise, other than other than that and that scene, um, like I said, I, I, I agree with you. I think it makes a lot of like fr- from a, a logical sense of, of how these characters sure. would react. Like the fact that she does have this, you know, this sort of little mini breakdown or lets her guard down. I think it's yeah. great. And, you know, it also is a great segue or tease into you know, bringing up Kavi again and, you know, living and dying and all that. You know, the um, one thing I was going to say about this particular scene is how it's depicted differently than what we see on the cover, where we see both Cutter and Lita comforting Emperor, whereas yes. in the actual story within the issue itself, it's just Cutter and Ember together. I wonder why yeah. there's a discrepancy there between the two. It could just be that that moment was did occur that we see on the cover, it's just left out of the actual mm-hmm. story. But yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, it's, it's there, it's not unheard of. In fact, it's kind of in many ways, the norm, I think in mainstream comics that oftentimes what's depicted on the cover isn't exactly the events of the story right. or how they happen in the story. And I think that's a function of the fact that oftentimes these, this cover art 
is done well in advance of the actual story being completed because you need to get it in for previews and marketing and whatever. So it could be that there, you know, in this instance, Wendy envisioned, you know, Ember needing to be comforted. And so that's what made it onto the cover. And then as the story actually was plotted out, it turned out that in the story, you know, Lita wasn't there because they wanted to have this sort of chief's Mm -hmm. moment. So that um, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but the, getting back to what they're saying, I think this this is so fascinating. This um, and, and it, it, it ties in a little bit later with Strongbow and and his his um, his calling of counsel to express his discomfort with the things that Ember's doing, you know, uh, denying recognition and things like that, living with humans. Um, is this this struggle that even the Wolf Riders are having mm-hmm. between? living their traditional way of life and recognizing that that is an important thing and that there's value yeah. in it. Um, yet still struggling with it. So you have elves like Ember who, you know, this is her stated mission as, as sort of, um, I don't want to say commanded because that's too strong of a word, but Cutter asked her to do this and she believes in it and she wants to do it. Yet she's struggling with the fact that in a way saving elves from death goes against right the way. saving elves from death actually could end up killing all of them it could right. destroy the wolf and, riders exactly yeah. and and you know and she obviously has this struggle because she's like well if i if i if i did what you asked me to do tear would be dead now and obviously you know i couldn't do that but it's still like she struggles with mm-hmm. it and um but 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 the next thing the next thing that cutter says on the next page you know where he he kind of recalls him saying no elf must mm-hmm. die um, and I never really thought about it in the way that it's presented here, but that, you know, Cutter is recognizing by, by him saying that no elf must die, even if he is my enemy, when Rayek was about to topple off the bridge of destiny in the very first storyline mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. ElfQuest, um, was, was, was that first step down the path of walking away from this notion that death is good and that you need death in order right. to be, um, well, at least for a wolf rider, in order to be a wolf rider, um, and how complicated it is, because the as Cutter goes on to say here that the palace has changed it all because the palace has no boundaries. There's no in limits way, at all. You know, when you look at it from that perspective, Cutter has brought all of the elves together and really done something that no other elf had ever done or has ever done. Um, but he's also uh, paradoxically led them down this path towards what could be their own destruction. Exactly. Un- unknowingly, and, but right. certainly that's what they now face, right? Because they have the palace, and Ember even calls it uh, a trap. and A beautiful, a beautiful trap, trap. Yeah. And it's exactly what I think um, uh, Surge... It was either Surge or, um, or, the, or broken the broken one. one. I think it, Yeah, called it a trap, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a gilded cage. You know, right. like they, they now have the palace, which offers them unlimited possibilities, but what are they going to have to sacrifice because right. of that? And, and, and here we talked about this in previous mm-hmm. epi- episodes, but I mean, here again, we're getting the, the crux right. of the, of the now dilemma and the challenge of the final right. quest. It's really being laid down for us now. It's set in stone. Like yeah. this is what is going to be the defining um, issue of the entire series is this right. this conflict now between the way and the palace and you know right. how the wolf riders are going to be affected by that because clearly ember wants to um, 
stick to the way and, uh, you know, continue along that line. Um, whereas Cutter recognizes now that there's no way that at least his tribe can anymore. Right. Yeah. And he seems to be accepting well, he's the of chief it. of changes, and so, right? And he, he is right. accepting of it. it. He even mentioned in, I think it was issue number one, when he, when Moonshade yeah. and, um, and Sky, he references Moonshade and Skywise and he accepts their choices that they made, right? Like, Moonshade's right. considering giving up her wolf blood. Skywise already has, um, and he right. he misses them in the hunt. But he also recognizes that it's their choice, and there's nothing they can do to stop it now. He can't stop what's happened now that the right. palace. And he even he even says that you know to Strongbow later on in this issue. Um, let me flip over to that page. Um, what does he say to Strongbow? Um, But yeah, it's you know the the palace is great, good. It's the high ones in the sun folks' home, but it's changing mm-hmm. us. And if we keep using it, we won't be able to stick the way, and things will never be set the same again. But like he's not fighting right. it; um, he's just recognizing it. And so here's the fascinating thing about this: is you know we were just talking a minute ago about the complexity of Elf Quest and the stories, and that it's not a cookie cutter fantasy good guys versus bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're you're absolutely right. Cutter is the one. Because he is so embracing of change mm-hmm. and and in in one light doing the right thing by bringing his disparate people together. But in doing so, he's destroying the Wolf Riders. It's Cutter's doing that this is happening. And, it, and it, you know, it's not malicious, no. obviously, but, you know, Cutter might be the one that destroys right. the Wolf Riders. It's kind of it's, that's it's fascinating fault, whether intentional or not. Right. With, without laying blame right. in that word right. fault, it's Cutter's fault that the Wolf Riders might exactly. go extinct. And and so this is your hero. Yeah. This is your protagonist. This is your good mm-hmm. guy. Right? Mm-hmm. It's very Shakespearean in that sense, right? Like he's almost becoming a tragic figure. Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking yeah. too. And so um, it, 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 it's fascinating. It really it's is. It's fascinating. Like the, um, um, the direction the storyline is taking is really starting to uh, open up a lot of avenues that I don't think we ever really anticipated. Yeah, or thought yeah. about being being possibilities. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, Cutter is kind of like, I mean, I don't think Cutter's going to end up being the bad no. guy, but he might ultimately be play this tragic role where he, you know, has this tragic flaw that hurts people and ultimately ends up in his death. I mean, that's typically, that's the tragedy, the tragic formula. Right. Like his, you know, the, his the, flaw is his um, dream or need to unite all the elves, which is a, a wonderful goal. Um, but in the doing of that, it could lead to the destruction of his own tribe. Yeah. Right. And, I, I, and, I, and I'm wondering actually if there could be some rift down the line between Ember and Cutter. If she's Uh so intent on sticking to the way and Cutter's uh, comes to some sort of realization that there's no way they can continue on that path. I I have no idea. You know, I mean, that's I guess it remains to be seen. Mm. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, I mean, I think all of that is also the epitome of of what we've heard Wendy and Richard say, and that is. Uh, say about what the final quest is about and that is be careful what you wish for you know and so it's um it's 
it's just amazing plot twist and storytelling that um, I would not have seen really coming. So, um, yeah. So, so back yeah. to the art for a second. Love that flashback of the the troll battle. Mm-hmm. It's great. We may or may not have talked about this on the show before, but I, um, as a kid, as as a kid reading ElfQuest when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, I was fascinated by that scene. And in fact, it's the number one scene that I used to draw as a kid as I was copying ElfQuest and teaching myself to Mm -hmm. draw. Um, And so to see that little flashback in there is just super cool. Yeah, it's great. And I love that it's a totally new drawing too. It's not, you know taken yes, from the existing yeah. artwork it's a it's a yep. different um uh perspective on that actual mm-hmm. scene which is really neat yeah yeah and uh, also the thing with the 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 first comers too the image of the first comers mm-hmm. being attacked by the um the neolithic humans uh it's mm-hmm. interesting as well um yeah yeah just it's cool to get those two flashbacks there in that scene cutter talking about how the elves have been affected by um, like the the palace and and the choices that they've made. Yeah, well, uh, in particular, his comment about uh, the high ones, the first comers, you know, like their their challenge is that they 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 were limitless beings that suddenly found were faced mm-hmm. with limits, and that that's like they just they didn't know how to cope. Right. They didn't know what to right. do. Um, so that's kind of a fascinating thing, you know, an interesting commentary on the real world too. You know, the more we in the real world rely on technology and, um, you know, the things that we can do with it, um, how, how, how much is that affecting us in terms of divorcing us from the limits of the real world? And, you know, what, what, what do we do in situations when we are suddenly without our, our quote unquote magic, um, in the form of our technology. So poses an interesting question. Um, so, so the, the, the counterpoint to my griping about Ember sitting on Cutter's Mm -hmm. lap, and again, this is sort of the genius of ElfQuest is in the next breath, she's like gripping him and shaking him, (laughs) which is kind of an aggressive, I I don't mean aggressive, like she's going to attack him, but it's here we see the flip side of Ember of, you know, her being a, um, uh, not afraid to express herself. The she-wolf. Even if it means, yeah, the she-wolf, you know, and she's, she's like trying to shake the sense into Cutter and be like, open your eyes, you know, like this palace is in a way a beautiful trap and it's going to, you know, prevent us from, from living the way that we want to live as wolf riders. And it could make us, you know, go extinct. We might have to choose between one or the other. I mean, Ember says it, there it is right there. This scene actually reminds me a little bit, just their interaction reminds me of the scene from Hidden Years 3 where they're arguing with each other when she was a teenager Right. There's still elements of that within their relationship where she's not afraid to challenge uh-huh. her father. Yeah. yeah, but I think that um, I, I totally see that. I mean, it's it's an obvious comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually Hidden Years 4, okay. I think, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course you would know that. <laughs> Sorry, nerd <laughs> yeah. alert. Um, but, um, but obviously so different because Ember is much older and more mature oh, yeah. and Cutter has sees her much more on an equal plane than he did when she was, you know, sort of a snotty teenager. Um, (laughs) So, so, and and so, so this part of the scene I feel is just so much more in character and makes more sense than seeing Ember kind of wilt into this, like daddy's little girl have to sit on his lap kind of thing. So I think they, they, they kind of cancel each other out or balance each other at least. Yeah. Um, It's more in keeping with character, um, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I love that. Um, but no, go ahead. I was going to say just the last thought on that is that look at the expression on Cutter's yeah. face. He, like Cutter is almost neutered. He's like resigned. He's resigned. Like he's just like, yeah. like, he already knows. Like she's just saying things that he already knows. And he's. Yeah. Like he, fine. he has no expression. He just, or he, he does have an expression. Um, just in the slight way of his mouth and his mm-hmm. eyebrows, he kind of has, I think resigned is the it's perfect resignation. Word. He already knows. There's a touch of sadness. Yeah. 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 Melancholy. Um, yeah. And so it's like, what the hell cutter? Snap well, out I think of it. it's because he knows there's no going back and he's, he's accepting of change. And so he's in acceptance of what, whatever happens. Whereas Ember in her, uh, adherence to the way, um, and you know, she, her loyalty to that way of life, she's fighting, she's fighting mm-hmm. against what the palace represents. She's fighting for, uh, the wolf riders way of life. She's fighting for the way. Um, whereas Cutter at this point, I think has resigned himself to the fact that the, there's no going back. They can't stop what's going to happen. Um, right. which, you know, just ties back into what we were just saying about Cutter, maybe even being, you know, an anti-hero in, in this, in, in, in a type of anti-hero, yeah. at least I don't think they'll ever, I mean, he's you know, not a villain, Cutter. but yeah, right. there's definitely an element of that at play now. And it will be interesting to see, uh, how that comes to fruition in whatever way it does throughout the rest of the series. Yeah. yeah it's going to be really interesting yeah. to see how that plays out. But I really love the fact that they're having this private conversation. Meanwhile, Sunstream and Skywise are eavesdropping on everything that they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> they're up on this arch, like listening to everything that Cutter and Ember are talking about. Like, <laughs> seriously, guys, give them some privacy. <laughs> that's really funny yeah um i i Those didn't even think about it like, like that but <laughs> that is yeah, really and funny we're, and we're just um, gonna go off and have our little cheese council and like right and sunstream's like this guy why is quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's interesting um, to see what well, sunstream uh, actually says because all of a sudden it's a revelation to him oh right. yeah i didn't think about how this was going to affect the wolf riders Right. Just yeah. Really and, affect and how they live. Right. And Skywise is um, sort of musings on on how giving up his wolf blood affected him. You know, suddenly put into the perspective of what if the entire tribe was faced with that mm-hmm. decision? You know, and like if you're going to live near the palace, you're going to lose your wolf blood. And and what that mean, what that will mean for the rest of them. It's one thing for him to make the personal choice and then deal with the fallout of it. But what happens when it's not a choice? Um, so, right. you know, and who knows if that's where the story is going to go. I, but it seems like that is something that is being very strongly hinted at that, what, you know, whether or not the palace actually removes their wolf blood or not, it's like the palace is going to prevent them from living like wolf riders exactly. in one way, shape that's or right. form. So I love um, the, the artwork on this page in particular, um, Skywise. He looks so Skywisey mm-hmm. to me. Yes, um, he does. <laughs> and it, it just, I've said this before, but I find the art in particular reminds me of um, the technique Wendy was using in Kings of the Broken Wheel. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm finding a lot of um, similarities between the final quest and 
and Kings of the Broken Wheel, along with uh, elements from other uh, storylines and her, her techniques that she's used over the years. But particularly, I find there's some uh, real uh, similarities between the final quest and uh, Kings of the Broken Wheel. So um, I think that's interesting because I think that, um, especially in the first half of Kings of the Broken mm-hmm. Wheel, that there was a a boxy, almost clunky element to that art. It was very cartoony, mm-hmm. um, and even like even down to like the shape of the mm-hmm. eyes, um, like elves that had these sort of graceful sloping eyes suddenly had almost squarish eyes in a very kind of anime kind yeah. of feel. Um, and I think that I think I think I might have read or heard Wendy say something about wanting to infuse even more of a sort of an, an anime manga feel into the mm-hmm. art during the uh, final quest or the Kings of the Broken, um, Wheel. Of the Broken mm-hmm. Wheel. But um, but it's something that I like it, to me, it took away a little bit of the line of beauty of mm-hmm. Wendy's art. And so for that reason, the Kings of the Broken Wheel art isn't necessarily my favorite. I think once they got to the post-Palace being stolen... That's exactly what I was going to say. I think it's more the later issues of Kings of the Broken yeah. Wheel. I'm thinking in particular um, the issue where it's it's focusing on Skywise and Lita in the human town. Um, uh-huh, and there's uh-huh. the scene of them running through the woods, and then they end up in the log, right. and that's when he decides... Oh, you're totally to right. You're totally from. right. Yeah, yeah, that's the artwork I, I see similarities there. Yeah. yeah Even a right. lot of the um, the background details, too, like uh, the plant life. Um, it, mm-hmm. Oh, and, and you know what, too? That one panel on the bottom of the, the page that I think you're looking mm-hmm. at, um, where you see Skyway sort of in sort of profile from behind, and you see... Um, just sort of this garden feel with that little stone structure. There's almost a a panel very similar to that um, when he's looking down into sort of the human village and you can see structure very similar to that that's sort of overgrown with ivy and he's kind of thinking about, you know, all the changes that have happened in the humans in that instant that he was pulled forward into the future. So, yeah, that's a good observation because there is a lot of similarity Mm -hmm. What yeah. do you make of his musings here, though, about he's thinking about um, how the palace has changed his relationship with Cutter and and the removal of his wolf blood? How do you take that in relation to what's going on right now? Well, you know what? To be honest with you, um, I feel like this is sort of a lingering thing. Mm-hmm. This whole, like, I lost my wolf blood and now it's affecting my relationship with Cutter. And... Um, you know, I don't really have a thought on it one way or the other, uh, other than that I I kind of am hoping that it's addressed and dealt with and then move okay. on. Because, again, it's kind of been hanging there ever since Kings of the Broken yeah. Wheel. Um, and it pops up into the story in various places, like, you know, in Shards and then in, um, uh, in the um, – I'm blanking on the name of the story. Uh, Shadow yeah. story. Right. Um, you know, which happened immediately after the palace came back. But, um, and obviously, and then the, in the Hidden Year storyline, where when Skywise went with Ember when they first broke away from Cutter's tribe, and um, there was all sorts of issues with, you know, him, you know, everybody reminding him basically that he wasn't a wolf runner anymore, everyone from Ember to Lita. Mm-hmm. So, um, so again, I'm, I'm looking for where that piece, that element of the story, is it just going to be something that gets referenced? 
in, as a background thing every once in a while, or is it going to be something that develops and these two characters move beyond? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my mm-hmm. thought on that. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying, though, about it being sort of this lingering element of their relationship that's always brought up in some manner and never really um, dealt with uh, to the point of it being resolved. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what I'm, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. And, and, and you asking me this is, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking out loud here. Um, I haven't really thought about this before, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that I would like to see some, some resolution to it one way or the yeah. other. Um, I think we're going to, you know, in this story. I think we're, I, th- I think I, I agree. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't be brought mm-hmm. up here. I, at least I don't think. Yeah. So um, I think that definitely is going to be a big part of how this all develops with, you know, with everything that has been hinted at and all the stuff that we were just discussing about what the palace is potentially going to do to the wolf riders. It's obviously the, the cutter wolf blood skyways, no wolf blood thing is going to be a part of that. I, I, I have Certainly. to guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's move on to the next big um, element of this okay. issue, um, and that is we finally find out what happened to yes. Kong. Um, again, we've known that she's been dead since at least two thousand six. I think two thousand and six, when Wendy wrote about mm-hmm. it in the um, Ask Elf Mom, and she said, "Yep, she's a spirit. Kavi's in spirit mm-hmm. form." You know, and uh, before that, it was hinted at in the um, in the first telling of the recognition storyline. So um, and that Larrigan killed her. Right. So we finally find out what what happens. And I, I, I really only have one thing to say about it, really. Well, no, we all know that that's not true. <laughs> Come on, um, David. Who are you the, kidding? The big thing, <laughs> the big thing this that I have to say about it. <laughs> You're almost hey, as yeah. <laughs> Maybe not quite as bad, uh, but pretty close. <laughs> um, the big thing, the big thing that I have to say about it is, um, you know, I think uh, everything was really in character for both of those characters. Um, and then the ending, her her final ending, you know, she doesn't go out in a blaze of glory. She doesn't go out, you know, with, you know, in, in the traditional go back yeah. fashion the of word, taking down her enemy with her in a blaze of glory or whatever. The word that came to mind for me was ignominious. It was an ignominious yeah, I mean, end. She, yeah, I mean, she just got knocked off yeah. a cliff and, and fell, that's you know. the end. But, right. And so on the one mm-hmm. hand, my initial reaction was, oh, that's it? That's what happened? Yeah. But then I thought about it a little bit more and I'm like, you know what? It's... Like it would have been so almost cliche mm-hmm. to do the, the other way, if the blaze right. of glory. I mean, how many times have we seen that? Yeah. And that's kind of what we would have been expecting. Exactly. And so the fact that Wendy and Richard did the complete opposite, I think, is kind of fun well, and 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 kind they of even genius. reference it in the script when uh, Javi says oh, yeah. it never happens the way you think it will, and yet it always does. Right. And that is that is a huge line. And I also wonder how much of a hint or foreshadowing that is. Oh, you know, in, 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 you know, we're talking about this whole issue of whether or not the elves are going to be able mm-hmm. to die. And, you know, Kavi for Kavi, it ain't an issue because it's going to happen one way or yeah. another. It's almost a foregone conclusion. Right. Um, and then, and this is this is the thing that I was that I hesitated on when I said I only had one thing to say because the other thing that I wanted to say that I thought was kind of noteworthy mm-hmm. um, in this flashback scene was 
Kavi recognizing how old she is, how tired she is. Yeah, I'm as, what does she say? I'm old as the frozen mountains, old and tired. Old and mm-hmm. tired. And this notion that even an elf like Kavi eventually, you know, could have lived life to its fullest mm-hmm. to the point where they've done everything they needed to do. They, you know, they, and they're ready to go. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's not something that's easy for we humans who only live, you know, a few decades can to relate to, but I think it's very much in character for these beings that can live millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not something that I would have expected of Kavi, but it also isn't something that makes me feel like it's out of character for her now that I see the way that it's played right. out. Um, and it's, it's just interesting that, you know, even a character like Javi could could get to that point. Um, but it also kind of gives it fills in a little bit of the the fuzziness and the gray area around everything, you know, and and I think um, what does she say? She's like, um, you know, having shed every worldly tie, I get to use myself up as I like, you know, and so it's true. She's she's taken the go backs as far as she can take them. She's given birth to as many children as she wants to give birth with. Tildak is gone. There's really nothing else for her to exactly. do. And she's like, I've, I've seen it all. I've done it all. There's not much else here for me. Yeah. So I'm going to sort of let myself go in, other, in some way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. But what's interesting is that she's, she's like, she actively decides that she's not going to go out in a blaze of right. glory. And so this whole hunt with Larrigan when, when I the fir- my first reading through it and and also what I was speculating about from the hints in prior stories or issues was that there was this either this this sort of battle or um you know that he was hunting her and or whatever and and the thing is is that I like Kavi could have gotten away from Larrigan whenever she yeah. wanted she could have got out of Dodge and gone somewhere mm-hmm. else she could have killed mm-hmm. him no doubt but I really think that she was as much engaged in this back and forth over the years. Well, as she, she called was. it a game at yeah. one point, and she also says, uh, "Like the fun is over," just before she dies. You know, right. she's thinking that. Exactly. Okay, so she took it as sort of like uh, a form of entertainment almost, and right. and I think that speaks to how bored she really was uh, at this point in her life. Um, that yeah. she would look at you know being hunted and. Uh, by this bloodthirsty human as some form of entertainment for her, like a way to right. pass the time. Yeah. You no, know, she's just complacent now at this point. So, so all of this took place just prior to the elves waking up, right? Is that when this right. occurred? Okay. Well, she says she met him for the first yeah. time then. Um, so we sense. don't know exactly how long their their little dance and battle. But in order for Larrigan to really hone his wood mm-hmm. skills and pick up elements of the elf language. I would have to guess it, ha- it was over the course of at least a couple of right. years, maybe longer. It's um, interesting to, so yeah. to see here that during that time, too, she was like finding stags and training them to ride them. It's kind of right, cool right. that exactly. she was doing that. That's the other thing that makes me think it happened over several yeah. years. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you can see that Larrigan visibly ages throughout the course of this. By the end, when he actually does kill her, he's significantly older. It looks like maybe 20, right. 25 years passed that he was that yeah. he was hunting her. Um I really like the fact that we get to see Larrigan as a younger man drawn by Wendy. Um, I think it's really cool. Mm -hmm. There's actually uh, the full uh, figure drawing of him on one of the pages. And Mm -hmm. you see Kavi as well. Kavi as the full figure image. But that image of Larrigan is taken from the model sheet that Wendy did. 
years ago that uh-huh. was posted on uh, the ElfQuest website with just some slight modifications to his arms. He's holding a bow in this image, but I just right. I noticed that that that's specifically that's the same image that she drew. I love that drawing. Um, I wish the I dog was, was in it too because she drew that dog right. so well, <laughs> so dynamic. But um, yeah, well, that was Maury who didn't come into the picture until oh, so later. So it. yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, because um, I know timelines can get confusing. Mm-hmm. Is that all of this happened before um, Angriff John, Angriff John hired him to hunt right. Ember? So you got to keep that in mind. So by the time he he we get to that point in the story, you know he is sort of probably pushing, you know, in his maybe middle age, early middle age, you know, maybe late thirties, early forties. Um, and then you tack on the time jump of 20 years that happened in the Final Quest special. So um, actually, he says he's almost 80 then. Mm-hmm. So um, and yeah, there's definitely some years in between there. But still, like, so just to give people a point of reference, like by the time he was done with Kavi, it looks like he's starting to to gray and you know be a little bit older. And and it wasn't until a few years later that he met up with Ember's tribe, and then 20 years after that. You know, we get to see his. Demise, it's interesting so. to see too how much he changes his personality between this flashback and what he ended up as, which was a rather mild um, old man. You know, who was who was had completely changed his perspective on his entire life, really, and what his life's mission was. Um, whereas yeah. here, he's quite bloodthirsty and definitely, um, you know, vengeful and and wants. I wonder how many elves he actually killed. Like during this course of him hunting Kavi. Um, mm-hmm. he, he has said in previous storylines that he killed countless elves. So he must've been yeah. going back and forth hunting down go backs or something or elves on the plains. And if there exactly, are any, yeah, well, well, we know that, um, you know, they're, they're definitely like, we know that there were go backs living kind of the traditional go back lifestyle mm-hmm. based on Kavi's flashback, uh, of when she gave up tear. Because they were obviously sort of in a go back lodge type thing, they were dressed in sort of cold weather gear. So um, whether they had already migrated out of the frozen mountains and were down on the plains at that point, or whether they did that after Kavi left them in Tears mm-hmm. youth, I don't know. But definitely at least some go backs sort of branched off and you know started you know ended up in in Jundland, mm-hmm. um, you know on an entire other continent in the plains over the course of however many right. years and so he must have been hunting um, them during that time yeah i mean he could have been hunting them and who knows what other elves are out there that he could have um hunted yeah. but it does add a little bit of context to why larrigan see why he was so shocked at the way that ember tried to deal mm-hmm. with him because now we understand a little bit more about why he sees them as sort of just animals and why you know he's so um you know, I mean, in, in the Wild Hunt storyline, we see him, his main motivator was getting um, sort of just vengeance for, well, after the John hired him, his main motivator was getting just vengeance for the the human lads that um, that Tyr killed with the poison ivy, right. um, you know, the itch leaf burning, um, smoke and all that. And, and so, like, you know, he has this sort of loyalty to his men, and we see that right here. Like, that's what inspired it. Kavi... Well, and this is the other genius thing about it is like Kavi sees these annoying humans and she's like, you know what? I have no time for this. And she proceeds to fire out three arrows and kill two right. of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without even batting exactly. an eye. And she almost um, killed Larrigan. He survived. The one right. problem I have with this flashback 
is that it sort of um, upturned my expectations for how this would actually play out um, based on what was previously said in the earlier issues where Larrigan specifically says that Kavi trained him to slay her. So my expectation was that they had formed or would form some sort of partnership where she would actually work, uh, take the um, position as a mentor of sorts towards mm-hmm. him and teach him how to fight and woodlore and, and how to kill. And then in the end, um, you know, cause him to, to kill her. Whereas this doesn't seem like it played out in that way. It, it seems like she was actually fighting for her life. And in most cases up until the very end, didn't want to die at his hands. Well, but here's the yeah. thing. I think it did happen exactly the way that Larrigan said it. But he's saying it through hindsight when he says that, when he makes that comment that she trained him. But it him. doesn't seem like that's Kavi's intention. But but but, but, the, but this is what I was saying a minute yeah. ago, is that I don't, I don't think it was her intention, but it is what happened. Yeah. She trained him for all intents and purposes how – you know, by engaging in this hunt with him, by not just mm-hmm. killing him, by not just getting out of there, by sort of lingering and just kind of entertaining herself and playing mm-hmm. the game, she trained okay. him. And he, that's his interpretation that he trained, that she trained him to kill right. her. And that is what happened. She did train him to kill her. I don't think she was doing it purposefully. And that's the difference, right? Like the way that when, when he, when Larrigan makes that comment, um, in the first couple issues, like it kind of makes you think that she like sat him down and had class yeah, on how to kill a copy. Right. And that's not really how no. it played out, but it is really what happened. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting, um, I think all of that is deliberate, by the way. I think that Wendy and Richard chose that phrasing and presented it in this way, you know, again, maybe as a little bit of a red herring or, um, you know, uh, to drive us a little bit to make an assumption that really wasn't mm-hmm. true, but yet was true at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. No, that's a good way of looking. That's at kind it. of how I, because th- th- I had that same reaction too, and that's what I mean. Like when I first read it, I was like, "Oh, okay," but then I th- like that that commentary from Larrigan is what made me kind of rethink it and really realize that you know Kavi was doing this mm-hmm. willingly. You know, it wasn't like any other elf that would have again either killed him or really gotten out of there and just not dealt with it, escaped. Right. Um, which she could have yeah. done. She definitely yeah, could have. She done. Um, so that's a that's a, so anyway, a, I thought, a way to interpret it for sure. Yeah, that it it yeah. might not have been intentional, but that's how it played out. Yeah. Right. Um, you know what else I really liked about this is the colorful language both of them use. And I mean, if <laughs> Kavi's not the uh, the prototype of the elf who uses colorful curses and you know yeah. swear words, I don't know who <laughs> is, but. Um, even Larrigan, though, he calls her monster horror of the doom pit. <laughs> Pretty intense. And then she, she yeah. calls him uh, what is she, young pig on a spit. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they both teach well, each other words, right? Like she, she teaches them the word pinecone. I guess that's not a, a human right. word. And then he swears in those little symbols. And so right, she's right. learning some <laughs> human swear word. I can only imagine what it is. But yeah. Exactly. Um, funny. Yeah, you know, the other thing uh, that I was just thinking about, too, as we're talking here, is that Larrigan is one tough old, you know, Son of a gun. piece of leather. Yeah. 
I mean, think about it. He's been stabbed through, you know, by Kavi Spear. Later, he gets his leg stabbed through. I, and I guess Mender healed him after that. But, oh, um, yeah. But this isn't a, uh, this isn't, I mean, and let's think about how he went out. I mean, he was this 80 plus year old guy and getting, you know, standing, standing up to and fighting with these, you know, much younger warriors mm-hmm. and managed to last for more than two yeah, seconds. Yeah, dude was a so, badass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I never liked Larrigan because of how he treated mm-hmm. the elves. But I have to, you know, have a, a grudging respect for him. I, I actually really like of, him. I liked how he was by the end, too, as an old man. I thought he was really, he, yeah. because he had changed so much and learned so much, um, you know, I was right. willing to kind of forgive him for his past transgressions. Um, and he obviously, right. you know, his final act uh, of, of bravery was on behalf of the elves. So he sort of redeemed himself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. yeah, and I actually like the way the the way that his character ended too. Speaking of characters um, ending, it's interesting that he throws Kavi's body to the wolves, which is what Kavi and her warriors did to Guttlecraw at the end of the, uh, the palace war. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't quite think yeah. about that. That sort comparison. of interesting little comparison. Yeah. Well, well, the 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 that what that makes me think about is. Cutter's comment in the next panel after mm-hmm. that—that um, you know, oh, you know—I always thought you might have had a drop yes. of wolf blood and death. You honored it, or at the very least, you honored us by giving your body to the wolves the way that wolf riders True. do. Yeah. And um, you know, obviously, this is a uh, a reference to the Kavi miniseries mm-hmm. and Kavi um, being a you know being born into the the two spears branch of the wolf riders and potentially being his right. daughter. And it is, of course, completely non-committal. And we don't get a definitive answer one way or the other, which I also think is totally deliberate on Wendy and Richard's part. And I'm beginning to think that, you know, as they talk about the final quest not being the end of Elf Quest, but wrapping up the major story arc of Cutter and answering a lot of the questions that have been out there, um, I'm beginning to think that this whole question of whether or not Kavi has wolf blood or whether or not she's Two Spears' daughter is one that they are not going to ever tell us. Yeah, I see. I thought, uh, I really hope that's not the case because I really want to know. I said this before: the origins of the Gobacks and everything to do with Kavi and her um, her family line. Uh, I mm-hmm. I would like to know that, but I I mean I respect the fact that if they don't want to delve into that, that's their choice as the creators, right? But uh, that's something yeah. as a fan I'd really like to know. But you're right; it could just be a, an element of the story where they're saying, "No, we're not going to go into that." But as fans, if you want to, then go for it and create your own stories or explanations for how that all came about. It's quite possible, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that it's it, I think. My instinct is that they're referencing it because they're not going to mm-hmm. answer it, and that they're actively, they're actively sort of poking a stick at the fandom <laughs> <laughs> who are obsessed about yeah. this and being like, hey, "Here's another little, you know, teaser that we're, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of right. giving us more information without actually giving us more information." And I think I could, I, it's just something I could totally see them doing. Do you, is I guess what I'm saying. Do you think that um, they know? I think that they have not decided. Okay. That's my again gut instinct. I mean, I don't know of for sure, but I what I do know having had conversations with Wendy mm-hmm. and Richard is that 
my observation is that a lot of ElfQuest is so, I've said this before, it's totally organic. And they don't have every single answer to every single detailed question about every single bit of minutia figured out and written down in, you know, black ink on, indel- you know, indelible ink on, or, you know, or carved in a stone sure. tablet. A lot of it is what they feel in the moment that the story needs and what the characters themselves are telling them. And so I, my, my take is that I don't think that if they have decided one way or the other on whether or not Kavi has wolf blood and whether or not everything that was in the Kavi miniseries was, is going to be considered canon. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I can totally see them saying, you know, that's a story that's out there. We're going to sort of reference it and give nods to it and be coy and sly about it and not really go there because it's not relevant to the telling of this mm-hmm. story. And maybe we'll get to it someday. Maybe we won't. That's kind of what I think is going okay. on here. That makes sense. And I know it's frustrating. Yeah, it's really frustrating. <laughs> if you really want to know, it's not, I don't know, like this particular one, I, it doesn't bother me that okay. much because... I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Kavi being Two Spears' daughter, and I know a lot of fans do. Um, you know, just sort of the connections there. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, I think that I think I think there's a logic there, and I think it makes sense, and I think there's something cool about it. On the other hand, the magic pool bit seems a know, bit contrived. I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of just there for that one I purpose think, of keeping Kavi frozen, and for me, so I get what you're saying. For me, though, it's less so about. Kavi's personal history and more about the Goback tribe itself. Like, yeah. if they are yeah. an offshoot of the Wolf Riders, how did they lose their wolf blood? Like, that's a story right. that I'd really like to know. Right? Yeah. Or do yeah. they still have wolf blood, but just... Very, they definitely don't have they wolf don't. blood. Okay. Wendy has said said definitively, um, she actually posted to Facebook mm-hmm. not, not too long ago. And again, generally, don't even take things that... Wendy and Richard post to Facebook always as black and white set in stone because it might change when they come to telling sure. you a story. The only rule of thumb of what's canon is what actually makes it into the comics that Wendy and Richard write and right. draw. That's really what I've learned. And everything else may or may not be be canon. But Wendy did say there was a discussion going on about something or other. I think it had to do with Tear. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, some fans had written, well, you know, it might be that the Wolf Rider or that the Gobacks have wolf blood or whatever. And Wendy wrote in, she was like, nope, I'm here to clear that up. Like the, you know, the go back tribe mm-hmm. do not have well, a blood. They're, okay, they are so that's something. Elves. So that's interesting. But yeah. again, like I. But she didn't say about no, Kavi. No, so. <laughs> exactly. But it, again, if, um, if they are an offshoot of the Wolf Riders, how did they lose their wolf blood? Right. That's that, that's right. an interesting story. And maybe it's just a case of them not uh, interested in telling that story and leaving it up to us as fans to kind of come yeah. up with the explanation. And that very well could be what happens. I mean, in that in the Kavi miniseries, it was blamed on Willow Green deciding to remove the Wolf Rider's blood. Now, how she yeah, did that, it was never really explained. like, or why she right. did it. It was never really explained very well. So, yeah, who knows? So, yeah. Anyway, that's Kavi's story. They have a howl for her. Jesus, they have a howl for her, which is great. She um, leaves with uh, Tildak's spirit. Um, But before she goes, she says something uh, very strange and mysterious to Cutter, which is actually one of probably the most important things that happens in this issue, even though it takes place in one panel. Yep, I agree. Uh, She says, and you, Wolf Chief, I'll see your sweet body in the palace when I visit. And Cutter says, but I'm hardly ever there. And then she takes off laughing. So what do you make of that? 
I have no clue. <laughs> I think that because Kavi exists outside of time, and she made a reference to that um, just before she begins her story of what happened to her um, uh-huh. when she died, uh, she says something about, oh, yes, time. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that that little niggling detail of time. Um, the spirits exist outside of time. Um, I think they have access to what we would define as past, present, and future uh, at all yep. times. Um, I think she's referencing something that's going to happen in the future, and it's going to involve Cutter being in the palace full-time. I, you know what? Now that you just laid it all out like that, I think you're that is is spot on because you're right. There's the specific reference to oh yeah, that's right. Time, not something that we spirits have to deal right. with. Um, so, and that would that would sort of fit with the future quest teaser of what looks like yep. Cutter in the palace as the master right. of the palace. And so, remember in that story um, in Metamorphosis when. They're in the palace, and you only see the back of this character who looks like Cutter. And he says, take us in towards the Daystar. I have to find my daughter. And there's an image of Jink. Well, what if it's not actually Jink he's referring to? What if it's Ember? Right. And that's just to throw yeah, us off. Or, right. Or Jink is his daughter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think you're – I think when you, when you made me think of Kavi's previous comment about time, that makes total sense, that she's referring to something that – she's aware of because she lives in a timeless place, but Cutter isn't because he's still in the mortal world of, of being bound by time. So, um, so that's interesting. And then equally interesting is Pike's interaction with Krim before she fades back into the spirit, right. you know, this realm. Is, I think the second you know, most important thing that happens. Yeah. It's, you know, he asks her, you know, well, if what she said when she died, that going back to the palace, it's more than you're know, going back is more than just going back to the palace. And he's like, well, what else? And she's like, it's what is, it's the dream. And Pike's reaction is exactly what my reaction was. Yeah, dream? What the hell do you mean? WTF? (laughs) Yeah, um, exactly. This is getting into, I think, the metaphysical aspect of of the storyline that was really explored in Dreamtime. And to be honest with you, when I love Dreamtime as a story, um, but the explanation for it, I still don't really understand. Uh, when either. Pike was talking about like <laughs> the dreams exist now and like or, or Rory or somebody was talking about how it's dreams happen now and it just totally threw me. I didn't get it. Um, I have to completely agree with you on that <laughs> one. I, I am still a little bit lost on exactly what all My of that means. My understanding of that is that these dimensions or spaces that we could say we go to when we dream um like i I look at it as just a a function of our our brains right but what seems to be implied by the dreamtime storyline is that the spirits are actually going to some other place that exists like another dimension Uh uh-huh i but how that relates to what is real and what isn't like i don't really know and and how this relates to what krim is saying here is throwing me off big time yeah. And, and, you know, thinking of dream time, um, too, like, you know, the difference between the wolf riders dreams and the, you know, sort of the, the non wolf blooded and, or ones that think mm-hmm. like, you know, how, how is, I mean, that to me, given that that's a big topic in final quest, I feel like might be a hint as well, um, about, 
maybe even foreshadowing which wolf riders choose to go the route of the palace and which mm-hmm. don't. Um, so I don't yeah. know. I think obviously, again, think of this. You got to remember that this is the last issue in this first six issue plus the special story arc of the final quest. So what the, we're getting to the last few pages here and they're basically teasing up what's going to be chewed on in the next story arc. So, um, yeah, I have no idea what where that's going to go. But, dude, um, but I think it's there, and I think we're going to see more of that, obviously. Definitely. Both They're of those planting questions. the seeds for these uh, elements to be explored um, in, the, right. in the rest of the series. Um, but, yeah, this is, so these are definitely major plot points, right? This whole thing about yep. um, Cutter potentially being in the palace full-time, and then this whole right. thing about uh, dreams and where elf spirits can go um right these are going to be very important uh down the line at least that's my yeah. impression yeah. Of, of just these two panels it's so amazing though that these two what are going to be huge plot points i believe they will be are conveyed within three panels of this issue right. <laughs> it's really kind of incredible well, there was a lot, a lot of other stuff to you know to deal with and wrap up. Certainly, so. yeah, yeah. But just the um, fact that that uh, Wendy and Richard are even able to communicate that within these panels mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty um, amazing. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's just good storytelling. I mean, they they know that they want to wrap up the plot lines from the recognition storyline, but move us, begin to move us into whatever's coming next. And I think these panels are are what do and that. It, it, what it's um, doing too is it's weaving in. Um, like Dreamtime, for for instance, is being right. woven yeah. into the final quest now. Yeah, I'm I'm actually gonna um, over the weekend sit down and try to reread um, Dreamtime and just I haven't reread that in mm-hmm. a while. So when I have some free time, I'm gonna try to kind of reread that through the lens of what we were just talking about and this issue because okay, um, well if you make if that, you make heads or tails of it, uh, then. Please let me know in the next uh, podcast. I, I will, but something tells me okay. that I won't. So, um, all right. Well, so just a, a couple more things the, to get through uh, in this mm-hmm. issue to, to wrap up. Um, so, so you know, everything is sort of wrapped up, and the issue ends with kind of a reshuffling yeah. of the tribes. So we see Pike and Yun going home with Cutter, and then we see dart and free touch and actually winkin probably just stayed um are kind of joining embers i wonder tribe. how audrey feels so, about that right like she hasn't seen the guy in ten thousand years he's back at the hold yeah. for you know a, a, what a handful of years and then he's like okay well I, no, he would, yeah 20 years plus whatever nothing, uh, right yeah i feel bad for audrey because i feel like she is like the She's investing a lot more in that relationship I than think he so is. Too. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if they'll ever address that or talk about mm-hmm. it, but um, you know, and it's it's not said specifically that Windkin is going to become part of Ember's tribe in the same way that it is for Dart and Free Touch, right. but you know, you he he clearly stayed there um, with Ember's yeah. tribe. Yeah, so, so I think he's part you know, of whether or not now. he'll. I think yeah, so. I, I think that's probably going to be there too. Which how fascinating to see Windkin interacting with both his mother who he's like millennia older mm-hmm. than and his son who he doesn't know as his son other than that you know he's the the bio donor right. if you will um, i think that whole 
thing is going to be really interesting to see. His dad, Scouter. Oh yeah, yeah duh, Scouter. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, you forget that Scouter is yeah. his father in that in that yeah, sense. Yeah, Scouter was more um, of a father than Tildak was. If anybody was exactly, a bio yeah. donor, right. <laughs> Totally right. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, so I think I love it. I love getting a little bit of a mix up here, um, and so um, is, and just kind of shuffling things. In Ember Stride now, it's Ember Tear, Scouter Dewshine, Tilit, Pool, Sust. So Sust, both of his parents are gone now. His mother's dead. Right. Uh, Ed plus mm-hmm. Scott, who we never met, met, and right. now Pike's gone back to the original Holt. So he's yep. sort of on his own. Um. And then we have Dart, Free Touch, Mender, and Winkin are making right. up Ember Stretch. Plus, plus yep. the humans, right? Corbossi. Plus Corbossi. The boy, the um, girl. The uh, boy, the girl, and. <laughs> and Tinder. No, no. Yes, and Tinder. <laughs> so wrong. Until, um, until Wendy tells us her name, that's what I'm calling her. Well, she said that her name was going to be revealed in issue seven. Okay. So. so in, that's All next right. issue. Um, <laughs> Tinder and Tully. Right. Seven. Right. The girl is Molly. Molly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the boy, Molly, and then we'll find out what Tinder's real name is. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, and so what we got the Cutter's tribe. It's now Cutter, Lita, Skywise, Sunstream, Yoon, Pike, and then we've got uh, Tree Stump, Clearbrook. Redlands Nightfall, Moonshade Strongbow. I think that's it, right? New Star. Who? New Star. New Star. Who seems to be sort of she, part yeah, of the She's kind of, of like a part time Wolf Rider. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shuna. Oh, wait. No, Shuna she's is. somewhere. Right. Um, has headed out with. Um, Her family and chemo. No, but no, they're back. No, they're not. Shuna's back? Yeah, they let. No. Yeah, the last time we saw Shuna was in the special, yeah. and Kimo left with her and with B and with Shukapek, and then spent twenty years with them on her mission. B gets killed, and they come back to the palace. They come back to the Holt, and went and I. I'm, Wait a second. I almost said, and Wendy <laughs> removed her elf blood, or her her. I meant to say Lita gave her immortality, or or. or yeah, you know, made her long live, right. and that's the last we see of them. And I think they're still in Cutter's Are halt. They? I thought they left again. Maybe they didn't. I, I might be. I, you know what? I might be. I have to go back we and look. Seen I can't any remember of them in so long. So I'm. Yeah, but we yeah. haven't been in in Cutter's halt. We haven't been in the original well, we halt. Have, We've mostly been like, just a little bit. Yeah. We've mostly been over with Ember's mm-hmm. tribe. So, um, so yeah, we'll have to we'll have to figure yeah. it out. Maybe we'll find out next issue. Yeah. So um, my only things about other things to say, I think about this issue then are um, number one, we get another wolf friend name. So free touches wolf is named Tuft. Um, And how just awesome and cute is Strongbow's comment that they can't even keep their own hair out of their eyes. And then Moonshade's response to that. You suppose (laughs) they take after. Yeah. Right. Which is just, it's just really sweet that even though, you know, Dart in particular is just as old as Strongbow, mm. um, that there's still a little bit of that parental, um, you know, kind of concern um, over them. And it's also really nice to see Strongbow and Moonshade interacting um, 
and not in not with their their content. Yeah, but I have a feeling that in the next issue that's going to come up again. Yeah, yeah. But I this is too. sort of like the calm before the storm. But what do you make of the whole right. um, Strongbow's questioning of what Ember's doing, and he called counsel, um, and then Cutter comes in and kind of agrees with him and sort of takes the wind out of his sails. Right. Um, well, again, I think that's it's uh, it's all set up for the the crux of the conflict that we're going to start getting into next mm-hmm. issue. Um, I think it's it's kind of nice to see Strongbow in his original character, um, you know, kind of griping about too much change, too much change. Mm-hmm. And ironically, though, it's he's he's kind of complaining about Ember, but it's really the change that's happening. With his branch that's exactly what I thought too. I'm like, who is this guy to complain when he's the one wearing uh, a crystal from the palace and hanging out around the palace, even though he's not uh, as um, invested in it as as at least his life mate is or some of the other elves, right? right? Like he's still kind of wary right. of the whole magic thing. But I, right. yeah, you're right. It's it's his portion of the Wolf Rider tribe that's really being um, affected by it, and and for all intents and purposes, giving up the way. Whereas Ember, right. despite you know all of the the things that have happened within the last six issues, um, is the one who's really invested in um, adhering to the way and and you know making sure that that tradition continues. Um, and which is exactly yeah. what Cutter says to him, right? Which is kind of what right. stops him in his tracks. Like, hey, wait a second, right. buddy. Like, actually, my daughter is the one who's really concerned about the way here, and you know she's trying to to continue that. Th- that tradition, you know, and I guess that yeah. kind of made Strongbow stop in his tracks and think, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Right, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that the, the the thing that makes perfect sense that sort of triggered Strongbow to, you know, really pushed his button was the refusing recognition. Yeah. We know how he feels about recognition. Like, it's a done deal. Like, you don't get a say. You deal with it. And it's the right. way. And the fact that she did that, um, chose to do that and had the ability mm-hmm. to do it, especially, you know, well, obviously only with Mender and Lita's help. But still, that to me is something that makes perfect sense that Strongbow would balk at enough to um, to make a, uh, to, you know, to call counsel yep. and, and say what the hell's going on. But yeah, you're right. Cutter basically takes the wind out of his sails. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. It Strongbow definitely seems to have a... Um, Strongbow loves the palace, mm-hmm. you know, he fought for it, um, you know, but yet at the same time, as evidenced by what he says to Free Touch, yeah. which I also thought was really awesome, you know, that he recognizes that it, 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 it makes the Wolf Rider's life a lot easier. Right. Um, and that I feel like he has a love hate relationship with the palace and what it represents. Yeah, I was going to say love hate. I mean, I, I, I don't think he hates no, the palace. I've, but I but think using that term just to to mean sort of this dichotomy of feeling, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. He's conflicted. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, but a bit again, I like, I don't even know if I would use the term conflicted. I think he recognizes that the palace has an impact on the Wolf Rider's way, mm-hmm. but he also is okay with yeah. it. Otherwise, he otherwise he would ship off to go live with Ember too. You know, and I think a lot of it goes back to his healing after killing Kareel in the palace, mm-hmm. you know, not to mention him giving his blood for it in order for them to win it. I mean, th- he and Cutter have that conversation in shards, yeah. 
you know, where he tries to play it off like, you know, whatever, the palace has crashed, we're going to just go on. And Cutter's like, no, you care about it just as much as the rest of us. So stop, you know, being all blustery or whatever. But um, so, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, how Strongbow plays into all of this. I mean, there's obviously the issue with Moonshade, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the, those, the, those future quest bits yep. that we saw in, in, in the story and then also in the Metamorphosis mm-hmm. um, issue, Strongbow's there. Yeah. That is Strongbow. He's called Archer. No but ifs, or but of it. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Unless it's like his um, clone. If they're cloning right. elves in the future. <laughs> but, um, okay, so just to wrap things up, just a quick couple of points. We've got um, Tree Stump and Clearbrook talking about making new swords for Tyr and Ember. And I, we mentioned briefly in the last episode, like, what's the deal with the swords? There's so much comment about swords. I'm interested to see what's going to happen with this. I feel like that's some other plot point that's going to come into play. Uh-huh. The fact that Tree Stump is... Uh, working metal now, like the trolls did. It's that's going to definitely have some uh, yeah, so, uh, some yeah. impact on the storyline. But I'm interested at least to see what their new swords will look like. Um, right, and then we get we get Winkin looking over the tribe. It, it, it's referred to in the script here in the text that he's concerned. I don't know why he's concerned. What is he concerned about? They seem like they're somewhat settled. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't even pick up on that line, but now that you say it, I'm looking at it, and yeah, why is Winkin concerned? concerned. Um, and then we get the the very last page here where we've got um, both chiefs joining with their life mates, um, mm-hmm. and in the now, right, it specifically mentions that they're both experiencing the now of wolf thought. Um, it's ca- yeah. sort of an interesting scene, although I have to say they're, I was a little bit weirded out, and this is just my human-like thing coming into play here, <laughs> where we're seeing like the daughter with her life mate and then in the panel right next to it it's the dad with his i don't know just the juxtaposition of those two <laughs> panels together was kind of like uh, i feel kind of weird about this yeah 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 i think you you are you you characterize it accurately that it's just your human yeah squeakiness right. That's what we, yeah. factor getting triggered mm-hmm. yeah even though like the art is is beautiful Right? And, oh, it's you know, totally and that's awesome. like yeah. such an elf quest thing, right? That the life mates are joining together and they're experiencing the now wolf thought. Yeah, this the human squeakiness squeakiness factor kind of kicked in just a tad. Um, <laughs> and then we have the final panel with the John right, which is sort of this right. ominous um, uh, foreshadowing for what's going to happen because there he is with his fleet of ships ready to right. sail out into the vast deep and I guess go after Cutter's tribe or something, right? And maybe encounter the wolf or the wave dancers, which is what you, um, you said last time. So, yeah, I, again, I have no idea. Um, and, and like we've said about several things, this is obviously teeing up what's going to happen in the next issue and the next story arc. But here's an interesting thing is that with everything else that went down in this Mm -hmm. episode and all of the questions that it raised, but, you know, we finally are kind of getting into the meat of the, the, the effect of the palace on the wolf riders and the palace versus the way questions and everything. This panel at the end, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. About yeah. Him. There he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I guess, I guess I, whatever happens with the John is not the thing that is most interesting to me about the storyline, I guess is what my, my, my conclusion is. Um, 
And I don't want to say like I couldn't care less if he shows up or not because you, you, we're going to need a villain and we're going to need some some drama and some action and all that. But um, but yeah, I, my my brain right now is not focused on him at all. It's on what is going to go on Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah, I like yeah. that that last little line though. It says, "And things will indeed never be the same." Right? That's pretty powerful yeah. right there. So just prepare yep. yourselves. Um, so just quickly before we end this episode, let's do our uh, our favorite and least favorite moments. All right. So um, favorite moment or piece. You know, I have such difficulty with these because I can't pick just one. Um, I think I'm going to say the the opening scene where we get the the double page spread and just everything that's conveyed in it and all the stuff that we were talking about mm-hmm. before. And my least favorite is what we talked about before, too, is Ember having to sit on Cutter's okay. lap. Great. Yeah. Um, so for me, I would say my favorite moment is the uh, the flashback to what happened to Kavi, um, along mm-hmm. with the uh, the artwork in this issue, which I think is the best art that we've seen so far in you say that every time well that it just <laughs> yes. it just keeps getting better and better <laughs> i'm not disagreeing <laughs> uh, but particularly in in respect to the art it's the the amalgamation of all the different styles that we're seeing which is what we touched upon at the top of the episode um and how they're being yeah. seamlessly incorporated within each issue it's becoming more and more um streamlined i guess and and uh, but at the same time apparent that there's these different styles that are are being uh, utilized seamlessly. Right. Um, my least favorite, and this is something you touched upon in the last episode, uh, is Sunny's coloring with the um, the tonal values. Um, I th- you mentioned this that you like to see the characters colored, um, you know, like the, in their individual colors for their, oh, their yeah. yes. what they're wearing, yeah. etc. But we both made the point that in the in the last issue, we really liked the the effect of the the tonal quality of the work where they're being illuminated by the palace pod. Um, and it really worked yes. well. But you had said also that you don't like when that's overdone because it feels like kind of like you're being cheated a little bit. Um, right. And I felt like in this issue, there was a little bit too much of that for my taste. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of the the tonal work. I understand why it's being used because it makes sense within the context of the story. But at the same time, I think it can be overdone. And in particular in this issue, I think there was a little bit much of that. Yeah, I'm kind of flipping through and I see what you mean. Um, it's not. It's interesting because it's not all done in that in that sort of monochromatic. It's the monochromatic part that I think I was saying last um, last time right. around and. Um, because there are definitely panels like the panel where, um, where, where again, Cutter uh, Ember is sitting on Cutter's mm-hmm. lap, um, where it's it's colored with a night colored exactly. palette, but you still see their skin tone and their hair color and their clothing yeah. color. You know, it's not monochromatic, no. and um, and I think it's the monochromatic part of it that I think uh, bothers me. And I can see, yeah, there's a lot of it in this in this issue. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's a legit, a legitimate thing mm-hmm. to point out. But I mean, that's not to say that I don't really like what Sonny's doing as far as the uh, the coloring of the issues. So far, I think he's brilliant at uh, at coloring. It's just that one particular thing where I think it can be overused. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, to end on a positive mm-hmm. note, that's the one thing that I don't like about doing these. At yeah. Because the it, I know. 
<laughs> end up ending with whatever our little piddling gripe <laughs> is um, in the grand scheme of, of things. They're always yeah. piddling, but um, is Sunny. I, I, I posted on Facebook that I wanted that, that after the interview with Wendy and Richard, I said, Sonny, you'll be next. And he was like, oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm terrified. So <laughs> everybody, if you're friends with Sonny on Facebook, you should send him a message and tell him that he really needs to be our guest yeah. on the show in some upcoming episode. Yeah, that would be really fun. And I hope he does some of his voices <laughs> when he comes on. Oh, well, you know we're going to make yeah. him do that. <laughs> Actually, you know what would be really cool is to hear, like, if he has voices for ElfQuest characters. Ooh, ooh, that's a great question. Yeah. All right, so I will get on hooking Sonny in into being on an episode. You know, it might not be for a little while because we've got this one coming out, and um, we have a couple other special episodes in mind for the next month or so. So, which we won't say anything more about. We'll be cryptic, like Wendy and mm -hmm. Richard. But, um, but yeah, I think um, I think overall, awesome issue, great sort of summation and end of this original or first story arc of final quest. And I'm, I can't wait for January. I know this issue just came out, but that cover like for chomping issue at seven, the bit. it looks uh, incredible. Like you said it in yeah. the Facebook comments, you can't stop looking at it. I can't either. You can't stop looking yeah. at it. Yeah. I mean it, it, and if anything, it's, I think, I think it's a reflection of the, love that has been poured into this particular Absolutely. issue dude venka yeah. and Aurori. yes finally i mean come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah I okay know. well I on know. that note uh we'll call it an episode okay sounds and, good and uh we'll see you all again um in a couple of months or or sooner with the special episodes yes okay yes all hey. right see you ryan bye, bye everyone bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.